Alright, welcome back everybody to College Football Unmasked. This is episode 3, brought to you by the Daily Sport Network. I'm your host, Ty Hayes. Finally, we have the whole crew here sitting beside me. We have... Uh, Jameson White. Andrew Martin. And Brendan Weatherspoon. Now, Brendan, you're a guest on this week's episode, and you used to play football for University of North Texas, right? Yeah, that's correct. I played uh, in 2017 to 2019, uh, retired after a series of knee injuries. So I was here for the the, uh, two good bowl game years. And if I remember correctly, when you and I used to talk about that, you told me that they honored your scholarship after the injuries. Is that right? Oh yeah, it's a very great uh, coaching staff. Very, very uh, close knit. Uh, they they respected a lot of the work that uh, they asked me to put in because I wanted to come back. Uh, they told me, you know, if I tried, which I did, um, and it just wasn't feeling right. You know, with those ACL injuries and get after you get two of them, you know, get a little wobbly. I uh, told them it wasn't really feeling good, so they respected it, honored it. I only had two more years, and I graduate next spring. Was there any, like, red tape that went into that? Because, I mean, we're about to get into it, but a lot of people hate the NCAA for a lot of really good reasons. Um, Oh, and they're very, very validated for doing that. I think some of the NCAA teams, when you get to some uh, more business-oriented organizations and uh, programs, that stuff doesn't isn't very uh, common. It's a lot more of a rarity. Somewhere like UNT, you know, it's not a, uh, it's not like a tiny college by any means, but it's not very representative on the national scale um so they had a really good coaching staff with Seth Luttrell um good just overall good coaching staff um so they honored it it was something that I was a little skeptical about however uh teams with good coaching staffs that are you know treat their players good with respect like they would treat their own sons uh I wouldn't expect much less from UNT so I don't know if you heard did you hear about the whole bit that happened up at Washington State this offseason I uh, no. What, what was uh what was it exactly? So up at Washington State this offseason, there was some drama when the We Are United movement launched out of the Pac-12. Have you heard about that? Yeah. So the We Are United movement, started by a lot of the people in the Pac-12, was kind of integrated within college football with the We Want to Play movement to kind of just establish some change. Mm-hmm. But out of the Pac-12, specifically at Washington State, there was a player from this area, Cassidy Woods. Okay. He was a part of the We Are United movement, and he opted out of the season. And there was a recording that came out of him and his head coach, and the head coach told him at the time, he said, I don't have a problem with you opting out of the season, but I have an issue with you being a part of this movement, and I don't know how that will affect your status Mm -hmm. on the team. Okay. Now... You know, the players are still playing for the coach, so I don't know whether it was just a moment where he didn't mean what he said, Mm -hmm. and he was just having a conversation and said the wrong thing, right? Whether he really just meant, like, I don't know how this is... I'm not sure, because if players are still there, that probably means that it was probably just a stupid thing to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, But nonetheless, like, that puts some pressure on the NCAA, right? Like, if players are standing behind a social movement and coaches and administrators aren't behind it. Completely agree. Um, going into college football, I had a, I had a bit of a, not, I wouldn't say a disliking, but uh, I didn't favor some of the ways the NCAA organized themselves and operated. It seemed more uh, commercial-based instead of, you know, kind of a group to keep the league and the college players and just kind of keep everyone under a good strict guideline. I think with things like getting involved with movements, uh, especially at those bigger schools, a lot of the times you have coaches who are being paid uh, possibly or being told from people above that, you know, we don't want anybody to be in the news for this. We don't want any association. We don't want anybody to 
you know, catch the limelight on some type of news network and this negatively affect our, you know, economic income, you know, it's going to hurt. I wouldn't doubt that that was something that maybe was a lot bigger deal than we're led to believe. Uh, definitely could be if the player is still playing, you know, a lot of people are in that are in the sport to really, you know, pay for college, pay for their bills, pay for uh, just the minor things they need. So, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes it comes down to a business relationship between these players and their coaches. Um, and unfortunately, that's a big, that's a more repetitive trend along with those bigger universities, especially with movements going on right now and uh, big time movements that have a big publicity and big public uh, opinion. So, you know, it's hard to say either way because every coaching staff is different. Um, I could definitely see it, though, being the case with them. So as a former player, if you were in that situation, would you have your teammates back or would you keep playing for that coach? How would it work? Because I'm trying to trying to level out the value of the fact they're still playing for this coach and how much that really says. So in your situation, would you have kept playing for that coach? Have you heard that conversation happen with a teammate? See, the problem with college football that just sucks is that you really got to have a united voice or you'll get kicked to the curb. And so you really got to make – if this is a player, you know, who had a lot of backing from his teammates, maybe a player who put a lot of effort into the game, which I have no doubt that he was – um, then I would, if I was in his shoes, I would hope that I have the backing of my teammates to kind of take an action. However, it's hard to take that action whenever most of the backing is behind the coaching staff, which could very well be the case. Um, so with his situation, if it were me, I probably would have uh, took advantage of the trade portal, or not the trade portal, the uh, transfer portal that's becoming more prominent. I think that's a good, you know, at this point, it seems like it's just a league. Uh, it's at what point are we going to kind of address the fact that this scene, this is a very huge uh, economic type based motive behind. Are you this, telling this me this is an amateurism? Sure, surely the NCAA is an amateur status uh, organization. I can't imagine they'd be dishonest about that. Golly, it, you know, I wrote a bunch of papers in high school about players, be, players being able to be paid, and it's a hard topic to bring up because there's it so is. many aspects. You know, being in the locker room, there's those people who don't come to practice very often, maybe on scholarship. It may be only a couple of days from getting kicked off the team. And then there's those players like uh, UNT for us, who's Mason Fine, very great player, someone who set his uh, mark for the organization, who you would expect to be paid a lot more. So how do you balance who's getting what kind of money? How do you balance who's getting what income? And uh, well, especially when you're going to school with a bunch of other you know, students who are paying a large sum of money for some of the facilities you have, it's going to upset that student body. Uh, and you, you got to kind of find a balance between it. So it's a hard topic. Not only that, but then you have to think about the balance you have to find between the universities because, mm -hmm. you know, as great as OU is, and OU is fantastic, they are not equally suited to pay a recruit as Texas, Ohio State, mm -hmm. Bama. And so what do you do? Is it a mandated thing that every university gets X amount of dollars and it's almost like the NFL where there's a cap and you spread it around it, that that brings up a whole different conversation, but it is a conversation that has to be had. Sure, and I think it could be one of the things I've always thought of is you could do it by conference. You give that X amount of money to the conference, they distribute it out. But on the other hand, man, just let players like go do their own things. Like people who monetize their YouTube channels and say, like, no, you can't do that. I think Trevor Lawrence in the offseason had a, um, what was it, a foundation he was raising mm -hmm. money for, and they blocked that. Mm -hmm. It's like, like, are you serious? You can't go off and... I mean, I even look at the non-one percenters, guys that aren't Trevor Lawrence or Zion Williamson, like a golf player. If he wants to go give golf lessons, he can't do that. Mm -mm. You can't monetize like a job you have. That's ridiculous. And it's, I, I think what a lot of it that they can do is try and set it up, um, like basically for what it would be at that point is basically a professional league. If you're getting paid to play, then more than likely you're, that, that's kind of textbook um, 
just being a professional. Um, but yeah, like as you said, if you're if you have a market for yourself and you're not going to pay the players, then why block them from being able to do that? And I think what you would have to do in this case is have some sort of salary cap, um, just based on what everybody brings in per year, and just have it play out just like every other, like kind of like baseball, um, except what? where like or not baseball with um, football, like you have a team like Oakland or now it's Las Vegas, um, but you have a team that's like in this tiny market and then you have the Cowboys like bringing in billions a year. It was like, you you have to set some sort of like mandate to that, to where it's just a percentage. And this poses the perfect question, Brendan, because, you know, episode one of this, I don't know if you got a chance to listen, Andrew and I ended it on a question, right? Okay. And this is going to sound ridiculous, but this is a but serious But it's so question. true. It's so it, true, yeah. Because especially for people our age, and we are the next generation, right? We're in the age where we're starting to take these positions yeah. that will become leadership positions mm-hmm. within whatever given sector. Could the NCAA allowing players to make money off their likeness and releasing Again, the NCAA college football <laughs> games. Could that actually be the savior for not only the NCAA, but also the NCAA's public perception? Because it allows the players to be paid. Honestly, uh, I don't think it will be. I don't think it will help because with these situations, sadly, once you give them an inch, you're gonna want a mile. And you get a video game. I mean, back whenever this video game was prominent, you had players wanting more. And there's nothing wrong with it. However, the tricky thing with football, uh, college football, and a lot of people don't even know, is that we do get a stipend every month, and it's already dedicated to how much the school makes. We might at UNT make a thousand fifty a month to pay for our rent, to pay for food, to pay for just whatever you need. And that's if you live off campus. If you live on campus in a dorm, you're getting five hundred. Compared to OU, they get two thousand if you live in campus, and if you live off campus, it's even more. Uh, so these, I mean, it's just such a huge body of individuals there's no like general public opinion because if you speak your opinion you might get cut from your organization and you can't really voice yourself i think the first step if there needs to be a solution to this problem is there has to be a coalition of players there has to be a whole group and i mean people like trevor lawrence or zion of the respective sport are going to have to be the leaders of that because you can't really have a leader who maybe is a freshman sophomore at a big university because there's another one waiting for Right around the corner in high school to get that opportunity but you have these big time players who are going to be number one overall draft picks uh at some point, everyone has to become unified in voice and figure out what it is they want. Because we'll ne- there will never be any change whenever you, no one knows what the whole body of, what are you trying to go for? You get the NCAA games, okay, now you want um, you want a percentage of the merchandise for, your, for the hats of the school. Or maybe you want the percentage of the royalties of some other aspect. Uh, there's never going to be a stop or a, an end to the asking of things because we don't know as players or the player group that is active now, they don't know exactly what it is they want. They just know that they are struggling because, I mean, you got a lot of these athletes who are struggling on the daily. Uh, I saw people who I know would, you know, be the face of the organization on Twitter, but, you know, needed help with getting back home after the game because they don't have a car. They don't have that ability. Uh, needed help with maybe, you know, shipping an ep- sh- shipping them an extra couple bucks to help them pay for uh, dinner after the game because you don't have that. So, a lot of issues that need to be solved. And I think the first step is a coalition of players. I've always stated this, something I was always very heavily uh, behind. If I could have became more involved with the team, despite the injuries, it might have been something I wanted to kind of, you know, dip my toes in. But unfortunately, there's going to have to be someone else. Uh, and I think there has been players who have tried it. There just needs to be a big time, a Trevor Lawrence type player that needs to set it. 
Yeah, I was going to say Nigel Hayes back in man, 2015, 2016 with, the, with that Wisconsin team. He was mm-hmm. one of the first guys to really speak out, and that's where a lot of the hatred towards the NCAA began yeah. from the public perception. I completely agree with the given inch. You're going to want a mild thing because that's that's just the natural evolution of things. Mm-hmm. People, people are going to want more. But back to the NCAA video game, just from a perception of the public, man, oh. the NCAA has so many easy, easy things to do to just make themselves look so much better without actually doing Very anything. Easy. And they just yeah. will not do it. They won't do anything. Like the salary cap thing, great idea. Player coalition, great idea. NCAA won't allow any of it. They're never going to. You see, I bring up the game because I, I think what you're talking about is correct, right? That is the only vehicle for long-term change. Which okay. is why yeah, I think, just like every league has a players association. Same yeah. thing, yeah. Like, that's why I think that the We Are United movement and what Cassidy Woods was a part of when it happened was such a big deal. I, okay. I was making videos and stuff talking about it uh-huh. because it was I thought it was a good thing. Exactly, yeah, of course. My, my thing is, is I don't think that the NCAA wants any of this to happen. So no to way. Andrew's point, they have an easy out. With the, the NCAA games? The public yeah. wants a game. They don't yeah. want to do anything. They would win brownie points from a percentage of the public. Mm-hmm. Whether it's 10% or 20%, that's still a significant percentage of people who just don't care. Yes, I 100%. Agree. I agree. I think the games would be a good outlet for them to receive some more public, some more good public opinion. Because, I mean, the games were amazing. Yeah, it was every That's my childhood. <laughs> it was your dream to be on the NCAA. Road to glory, kid. man. You Come loved on. it. it, loved it. So it they definitely could do it. Um, I don't know why they haven't. However, you know, there just could be just new issues that they don't want to bring back. Because I remember the games would bring up. The games are what started the huge issue. With, sure. And I think they're kind of afraid to touch it again. Because if they make it, people are like, okay, well, we have the games now. But where's the change? I would love to see the video games back in stock. Uh, I'm sure a lot of players would love it. I'm sure everyone, honestly, who loved the game would love it. Uh, It's just a matter of what is going to be the consequences. And I think the NCAA doesn't even want to risk it because they produce multi-billions of dollars a year from this. It's It's hard for them to want to even mess with their money. Social risks aren't exactly their forte. And it might sell. (laughs) We might get it. You never know because I know California has that new law allowing their players to make money off their likeness. could spread. Uh, I know LeBron I James has backed, it, has backed it. You got backing from professional athletes. So it probably will spread. I think we'll have uh, the video game within the next five years, hopefully. And to your point about it spreading, here's why I think it has to. For instance, you know, I'm a Bama fan. Let Nick Saban miss one recruit because they go to a California school and you see if he doesn't march right up there to the legislature. Oh, yeah. Oh, quick. Very fast. And Very fast. watch the, if that The isn't. recruiting implications are absurd. Because yeah. at that point, the state of Alabama will have no choice, right? And you, you think I'm kidding. We all know Saban would be the first one marching up there because he's not going to, he's not going to lose. Coach out Coach Cal is going to be very close behind. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> Coach Cal is going to be on his but, but on his stylistically heels. identical. Sure, right? You sure. get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. but I think that this, you know. NCAA, if y'all are listening, we have four people here who know the answers to your problems. Just hit us up. <laughs> But we moving, got you. Yeah, moving forward, because this past weekend was a big weekend in college football. And since you're here, I wanted to get your input on a lot of it. Let's kick it off with the Big Ten, because every week we've done this, we've kicked off the show with the upset of the week. And it just so happens, I think the upset of this week has to come out of the Big Ten. I don't know how y'all feel about it. Absolutely. But, you know, right off the top, number eight, Penn State. A lot of people thought that this team could squeak into the playoff. Starts off this year with a loss to unranked Indiana. What do we think? Funnest game of the year? <laughs> Easily so far, I think. I mean, the fourth quarter overtime were awesome. 
Uh, accidental touchdown by Penn State. That was a tough scene. Really weird week of football to where we saw that twice. Todd Gurley did it too and they mm-hmm. lost. Really odd. Um, but how do you... The quarterback's last name, Penix? Is that how you pronounce it? I think so, yeah. Yeah. The way he dove for the pylon in overtime, that's one of the most ridiculous finishes to an overtime game I've seen in college football ever. I mean, look, it's it's got an argument for top 10 plays of the decade. Yeah. I, I really didn't see Penn State dropping this game, but... They did, and now you're gonna go get smacked by Ohio State in the face, probably. But <laughs> yeah, it, it was like it was a tough loss for them because they really needed to solidify that win going into such a tough matchup with Ohio State, which honestly shows glimpses of NFL uh, capabilities just everywhere on the offensive side. Um, so it's really gonna be interesting to see how they bounce back. I think that we very may, very well may see Penn State fall out of their uh, their grace within this season. I mean, it'd be, it's very fitting for the 2020 season. Uh, but who, with kind of correlating with that, you never know. They could come out and uh, swing big against Ohio State, which I think they're hoping to do. They probably have a bunch of momentum right now after that devastating loss. Uh, so it's very interesting to see how everybody had to pick my favorite. I think I agree with Ty. Uh, Ohio State is probably going to handle them very efficiently on that offensive side of the ball and defensive side. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't really. Um, I don't disagree with that because, like. For one, Penn State, they 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 do this what seems to be like on a every year basis where there's just that one loss during the season that just like kind of kicks them out of this. They're Mich- almost, Michigan four years ago. Yeah, they're and, almost uh, the Auburn of the Big Ten. Yeah. Except Auburn, I don't know how y'all feel. I'm sure you feel this way because you're a Bama fan, but I don't fully take them seriously every year because I know they're going to lose the game. Penn State, I always hold out a little bit of hope for because whether they lose that big game or not, they usually make up for it later in the year. I like like, like the Ohio State win two years ago yeah. or one year ago. I can't remember. But it's just like they will make up for it along the way. Um, but yeah. Now, and, and with all that being said, I think that this loss to Indiana sparks them and they're going to be sending everything at Ohio State oh, this yeah. week, right? Like oh, Ohio sure. State, they can't sleep going into this week. Yeah, target on their back now. Yeah. Oh God, because yeah. if if Penn State loses this game, as much as I hate to say it, your season is done. As far as where really you wanted to over. be, and and James Franklin, that's where he has that program, right? Yeah. They're they're one of the programs in the nation that is right on the cusp, and so that is your expectation. That expectation will cease. I think that it could make this in this matchup interesting because, hey, news out of that Ohio State-Nebraska game. Nebraska made it interesting for about a quarter of a quarter. I was going to say, I looked, in the, I looked at the score in the first quarter, and I was like, hmm, they're kind of keeping up. It looked about an hour later, I was like, yeah, it's over. <laughs> and it shows like a recruiting difference, too, because like I don't know if you saw some of the, the throws that Justin Fields had where yeah. they were – just like high level NFL coverage. He was doing that last year. He was doing that at Georgia and, with the few snaps he got. It's just remind it's just a reminder because like everybody's out here saying that Trevor Lawrence is like undisputed number one. Like Justin Fields is right on his heels. Um and then two, like to to go into it and then just like obliterate Nebraska. Granted, Nebraska is not a great team, but you this is also your first game. Everybody else outside of the Big Ten and Pac twelve has they've been playing for two months now. Um so just seeing that already was pre- pretty impressive. Yeah, look, this kills me to say Nebraska is at a position, right, where I don't even know how much you can blame Frost because they are so far behind. Teams like Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State and even Maryland, for God's sake. And even Michigan State, like, 
Oh, Michigan State's just Michigan declining. State's they're hard. declining. They're, they're yeah. declining, but like I'm holding out. Don't be that hard they're, on me. Damn it, that's that hurts. <laughs> I'll d- if I if I'm looking for a head coaching job right now, I'll take Nebraska over Michigan State. But I, it's Michigan. Nebraska's not good either. It's but. it's hard. And the thing I think to his point is in Michigan State, you have to try and go head to head with Michigan, and yeah, you're not fair. you're yeah. not far ahead of Nebraska, right? But at least with Nebraska, you're competing against a corner. Plus, plus you're yeah. coaching at one of the top basketball schools in the country, so you always have that level of this is what we're matching up to, and and you know, hey, I, it's not like this nationally, but I can promise everybody listening and everybody at this table, Nebraska football is cultish in Nebraska because they have sure. nothing else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. it's very big there, right? So they start off this season disappointing. I don't think anybody's surprised that they got smacked by Ohio State. So I don't even know that this is really a fair measuring stick of where Nebraska is because we all know what Ohio, we thought we knew what Ohio State was going to be, and that's exactly what they look like. It was good to see Justin Fields didn't have any rust on him. None of of the COVID stuff, the week off, starting late, nothing. He's my second favorite player in college football. I love watching that dude play. Who's your first? Travis Etienne. Oh, that's a good answer. I love Travis Etienne. That dude, he's just fun to watch. He's just kind of he he's really just electric. Is. Like I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I saw a post talking about Etienne, and they were saying, like, from a track perspective, mm-hmm. he literally runs with perfect form, and that's one of that's the things that makes him so difficult okay. and so hard to bring down once he gets past that first level. Is he's running with perfect form and uh, an insanely fun player to watch. So. You know, as crazy as that Indiana game is, and it's going to be crazier because of that finish, right, against Penn State. I'll tell you what game, to me, is right up there. I didn't see Northwestern destroying Maryland this weekend. And I mean just thoroughly kicking their ass. I didn't watch the game. I don't know much about either team, but I know you are very high on Maryland from the talks we've had over the last few months. So I was interested to know what you were thinking about when I was looking at the score of that game. I... There's not much of a defense, really. Like, I, I really don't know where to begin because on paper, right, I know that there should be growing pains. Sure. But not to this degree, right? Like, while I believe Tualia is a good quarterback, he went to a very good high school in Alabama and mm-hmm. won high school player of the year in that state. And I believe he won a state championship when he was there. So he he was a big-time player in high school. He's got a big arm. And for God's sakes, his dad was to his dad. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if y'all have heard how yeah. to his dad made. So you got to be some kind of competent. And then Maryland, this past recruiting class, pulls the number one receiver in the nation from out of LSU, Rakeem Jarrett. Mm-hmm. Then you got Coach Loxley, who was the offensive coordinator at Bama, when they were putting up all-time great off- offensive numbers. Now, to be fair, they're still putting up all-time great offensive numbers. So... Take that which you will. There's not much of an answer for it. I don't know. Where I struggle with Tualia being there and the number one wide receiver and getting a new coordinator is the difference between college basketball and college football. College basketball, you can throw a couple top recruits out onto a completely random team, mm-hmm. lower level, and they can go out and make a splash. College football, as a whole, that team is just going to be physically dominated. They're just going to be outmatched. I agree. I think, uh, especially like I said, with Maryland pulling such great recruits, the uh, only answer for them, which is uh, especially when you get a new coach on the offense coordinator side, whenever you get very high level recruits, you give them time to develop. You, sure. give, you give them a year, you give them two years, and then by the time that two years goes by and they had that offseason full of training, especially at a great university such as Maryland, uh, they're going to come out with some firepower in 2020. You know, it's just such a tough season to. These players didn't even know if they were going to be playing not too long ago. 
um, it, it's hard to fall back into your, your student mindset and kind of put the athletic side behind you uh, with 2020 season just being so just a just cluster. Yeah. Um, I, I could very well see a lot of these uh, recruits shining within their sophomore year, which will honestly be their freshman because they get this year free. So it's like a little practice here, mm-hmm. a little debut. Yeah. I believe Tualia has an active red shirt as well. He does. So well, he does. I believe so. Um, and, and to be fair, you know, as high as on them as I was, I think they are where Oregon was a few years ago when Cristobal first got there and you started looking at the recruiting mm-hmm. wins they yeah. had. That's about where they are. But there's still no excuse for this. The one thing I will say is Coach Fitzgerald is putting together something and has been incredibly underrated and incredibly special at Northwestern. And it doesn't get the attention that it deserves. But he is a hell of a coach. I mean, yeah, Northwestern, they, they've seemed to just be like one of those teams that's like barely on the cusp of like really emerging as like a Big Ten power. And like they're, they're there, but they're not up there with like Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. All those guys. Yeah, they're right there, yeah. like you said, but they're just not. It's like tier one, there. tier two. It's like them right in the middle, and then you have the rest of like Nebraska. And like they, everybody. I firmly believe in this coaching staff, though. Fitzgerald really is a fantastic coach, but even then, man, uh, I'm gonna give it a few more weeks. But my excitement oh, for Maryland, you know, might have to be tapered a little bit, just with the Big Ten as a whole, when you're only playing the Big Ten, yes, Northwestern is a lot better than they used to be, but That's a great you can't lose that game when you're and only playing Big Ten teams. You don't get any confidence boost games. No. no. And That's it, a great point. And, and I no, think no. that that was another thing, too, is because normally, like, these teams are playing, like, 12, 13 games a year, and then you have, like, this season where when it's only conference, you have, like, seven or eight games. So mathematically, like, I, I think what we're going to see is like a lot of one loss teams don't even get in the discussion because sure. you're, you're playing like 20% less games. So those. Well, especially the Big Ten playing less games than everybody else. And they have no bye weeks. It's yeah. eight, eight games straight, no bye weeks, which is, I mean, we're going to get to it, but that's why Wisconsin's so dead now. After, yeah, after Wisconsin's yeah. in a really hard position right now. Yeah. And that's actually a perfect segue into this next week. Wisconsin looked more dangerous this past weekend than I think they've looked in years, right? Yep. Wisconsin yep. has historically been great at almost every position on the field, except quarterback. Yep. And they've never had bad quarterback. Yeah. But can we point to anybody outside of Russ? No, yeah, it's Russ. always been game managers. Which is fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it works. And life. the system but has always worked. It's always been a top 10 team. Man, this kid came out there uh. on Saturday and was phenomenal. Now, can he throw? Yeah, he can throw. Can he stay away from COVID? No. Negative. <laughs> and neither can his backups. So oh, man. What do they do? Because uh, yeah. this was already QB3 that they were on. Where do they go from here? QB4. Yeah. Sadly, that's how it's, someone is going to have to get put, picked up or pushed uh, from practice squad to starter and is going to have to adapt. And that is just another uh, interesting aspect, but also damaging to the team uh, of the 2020 season. You, that's another factor these players are – uh, making sure they're ready to deal with is contracting COVID and having to sit, miss a game, maybe miss a huge game. Um, so, unfortunately, we're going to have to see Wisconsin show their depth at that position. Um, you'll see a lot of these teams. Some teams vary from having six quarterbacks. I don't know, UNT had a six-quarterback depth chart uh, for a year, and then they go to teams who maybe only have two. And it's for situations just like this. You never know with those injuries or with things like COVID or uh, so. You know, you see it in Dallas Cowboys, not to jump in the NFL, but quarterbacks can go out very quickly. 
they're, they're just basically sitting there waiting to be hit or just running around waiting to be hit. So, uh, and that's injury size. But when it comes to COVID, it's, it's unpredictable. Yeah, you Completely unpredictable. Yeah. You never know. You know, you don't even know if you have it. So, you know, you can't just, just be good at sliding and not yeah, get COVID. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not a restaurant. You can't just, you know, hope for the best. Nothing's going to get you when you take your mask off. So. Yeah. And I, I think with Wisconsin's case, too, is like you said, they're normally like they have some top players that literally have a position on the field, like offensive line. They've yeah, one of the best awesome. line yeah. programs in the country. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's what they're going to be um, lucky to have, especially whenever you're losing this many quarterbacks, is still having an offensive line. And then generally, too, they they always happen to have a good run. Oh, yeah. Great run, um, Lord. And, yeah. and so I, I think that's that will really save this team, especially this coming week when they get to play in Nebraska. Um, yeah, and that's that's the only positive yeah. is that you play Nebraska. So I was really bummed out because all my life I've liked Wisconsin for all the dumb reasons that don't involve football. Like the uniform's cool. I like the branding. I think their stadium's awesome. So it really bummed me out because I was excited to watch them throw the ball over the field instead of the traditional running game we're accustomed to. And it also brings me to, I think we talked first week about, does the Big Ten realistically have a chance to get two teams into the playoff? Exactly. And I don't think they do now because, number one, Penn State lost. That's a tough loss. You're not. I don't think you're getting into the playoff after that loss. Number two, the Big Ten's only getting eight games. They don't have bye weeks. So the fact that Wisconsin has to miss at least one week now completely kills them, I think. Well, are they missing the week? Or yeah, they... so it announced today. They're not oh, playing next week. Geez, yeah, so I, I think they're – I don't think – uh, the Big Ten get two teams in, unless Michigan is That's where I was actually going. back. I, think, I don't know. I think but Michigan might have a chance. It, we'll I, see. We've been I, down that road yeah, before. We'll <laughs> For me, it's tough because you're going to have like a team like Clemson and Bama who are probably going to be two undisputed. Yep. Um, like you, you can expect for them to be in there. Um, and then you're going to have that Ohio State. If Ohio State's undefeated, they're in. Yeah. yeah. But then like after that, I mean – Especially after this last week, I think Cincinnati made up a legit shot. They don't play anybody the rest of this year, but yeah. the way they like handled. SMU. Well, we have a conversation about that coming for yeah. sure because that that really there are two teams right now in college football that are exposing a major problem, and we're going to get to that here in a little bit. But I think both of you did bring up the the juxtaposition to the argument that's being presented right now, whether or not there's two teams coming out of the Big Ten. And that juxtaposition is, what do you think of Michigan? Because it looks like that Harbaugh finally remembered how to coach a quarterback and <laughs> that he is out there. Now, moving past from the Wisconsin, we hope that the kids there had false positives, right? That they get back and can play because that is a big hit. I didn't know that they weren't playing this yep. week. That's a major loss. But let's talk about this Michigan-Minnesota game because I picked Minnesota. Because Tanner Morgan was... A lot of people did. Yeah, Tanner Morgan was there. And that was really as simple as it is. Because I know Michigan recruits better, right? Michigan's deeper. But Minnesota had continuity at the most important position on the field. Yeah. Uh, To hit on Joe Milton, like you said, Harbaugh remembered how to coach quarterback. Uh, Pinpoint accuracy. Love the way he threw the ball last week. But the number one thing that stood out to me, and I'm, I'm not comparing him to Lamar, don't get me wrong, but Lamar S, the way he runs behind his blockers. And the power run, the way he patiently sits behind and then hits a gap, looks just like Lamar. Well, you know who is interesting as a college runner? And nobody talks about them as a college runner. Are you going to go with uh, Jordan Robinson? Shoelace? Is that where you're going? No, okay. no. I thought we were staying on Michigan. No. no, no, no. And this is, a lot of people might roll their eyes at me, but I dare them to go back and watch the film, right? Because I've done it recently. Jameis in college 
yeah. was really a sneaky good runner out the backfield for that exact reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was so patient and yeah. smart behind his mm-hmm. offensive and, line when he'd pick. And not only that, but he was like athletic enough to where he could do it. Yeah. I, that's why. That's I, what I saw. Also it, has the college quarterback build where you can run somebody over. No, it, is. it was kind of the same for me with Mariota, his counterpart. It, it was like Mariota was a really good runner in college. And so like coming into the pros, I thought like maybe you have a shot to do some more dual threat kind of stuff. I thought so too, but is this win against Minnesota enough to propel that Michigan team into a position of having a college football berth this year? You still have Penn State and Ohio State. Yeah. And that's that's what worries me. It's like Michigan, they always they seem to do this like every year when it's they'll they'll like beat the teams they're supposed to and as soon as they get into like any sort of like adversity games where it's like a another power, they just can't get over that hump. And so I think knocking Minnesota out is great. Maybe Penn State, maybe they're just having a down year. Maybe they'll bounce back. Who knows? Um, but then still having Ohio State to run through is just tough for me to try and pick them to win over that. I don't think there's going to be any in between Michigan this year. I think whenever we get to the end of the year and the season's over, we're either we're going to say, wow, Michigan's back. Like Harbaugh figured out he did it. Or we're going to look and be like, hey, crazy stat. Michigan beat Minnesota week one. Like, Remember when that happened? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be any in between. You can never know with freaking hardball uh hardball i mean i think i would like to think that they take advantage of all the matchups they have to put themselves into opportunity to climb up on the top 25 list but reasonably i mean all these teams that they're going to be playing are i mean wisconsin's most likely going to drop do they i know they have some tough matchups i'm pretty sure penn state might even drop out of the top 25 um, so really michigan will have to hurt i mean considering circumstances they need to either establish themselves and maintain the consistent performance they had against minnesota which was really phenomenal i mean it, it looked great it looks like everyone's saying like michigan football is back another you know com- competitor for ohio state but if they fall back into their habits of giving us one good game and then just going kind of back to michigan football yeah. just kind of being around <laughs> you know you never really hear much about them ever crack, uh, crack into the playoffs they're going to have to really show us when they battle Ohio State at the end. And I know it's a matchup those players are probably oh. counting down towards. And that hopefully doesn't, uh, you know, hinder their ability in the other games because they have some great matchups coming up for them, uh, especially with no bye weeks. That must be strenuous. Oh, yeah. Two points to what you said because I think you, you hit on two things that are very interesting. One, I think with their schedule and coming out so impressive and then seeing Penn State lose and seeing what's happening in Wisconsin – I think it's easy for them to look ahead Oh, very. to yeah. Ohio State because they realize that if, if nothing else, Michigan is insanely talented. Oh, yeah. They have one of my favorite players in the nation on that squad right now. And that kind of gets into the other thing that you were saying is not only looking ahead, but it's, it's this argument of, okay, is Michigan deep enough to go toe-to-toe with an Ohio State. And I don't know about that because we have to ask ourselves, right? Are they good enough to be able to get into the big, to the, to the college football playoff with a loss to two losses? If they beat Ohio State. And you talk That's, about the depth, the biggest aspect of depth this year, which has never been the case, what if we get to the last week of the season they're playing Ohio State? Ohio State has a COVID outbreak, but they still have to fill the team. It could very well happen. That's the tough part about 20. There's no way to predict it. Yeah. And it could be tough, too, because Ohio State, like the last few years especially, they've really felt like the like an SEC team play. They have. I'm in the Big Ten. And 
So it's like they're they're just kind of heads they're in that upper echelon, yeah. yeah. And so I don't know. Michigan has some solid talent, but whether it's like deep enough to match Ohio State, it, it's kind of tough. Plus, with Harbaugh's track record too. <laughs> and, and I think I, I haven't told you the story. You've you've heard me rant. Um, I'm I'm decently hard on Harbaugh. And look, if I didn't think that he could coach, I wouldn't be hard on the guy, mm-hmm. right? I'm hard on him because he does a lot of things that are that are fairly ridiculous to me. And I'm like, that detracts mm-hmm. from how great of a coach you are. We saw what you could do at Stanford. We saw what you could professional do level too. at San Francisco. But this this stuff of losing a recruit because he won't take his cleats off in his house when he's at dinner with them, right? Like, I'm sorry, but the shirts versus skins football games with the recruits, it, it's funny until it's not. Until it's just weird. <laughs> there was a moment when Najee Harris, who's absolutely taking over college football, yep. we're going to get to that here in a little bit, but when he was coming out, I don't know if y'all remember, it came down to the wire. The only way you knew where he was going to go to college is if he got to the airport at Alabama or the airport in Ann Arbor, mm-hmm. right? The reason he didn't go to Ann Arbor is because it didn't feel as business-like as Alabama. And he loved everything about Ann Arbor. He had nothing but positives to say about Jim Harbaugh. I'm not using this as a shot, but it was the it was the fact that even some recruits are like, okay, it, it's, it's all fun and games, it's cool, but when do we get serious? Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, they do field one of my favorite players in college football, Dax Hill, at the safety position, yep. a kid out of Tulsa. Kid has got to run a 4-2-7 when the combine comes. Lightning fast, um, really, really impeccable football player. But looking past, because I think we're all pretty much well in agreement here, right? Can, can any of you imagine a world where if Ohio State goes undefeated, there are two Big Ten teams? No. 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 I mean, it's almost impossible in terms of scheduling and with Michigan really being the only contender to take that spot if Ohio State goes undefeated and knocks yeah. Michigan down, especially last game of the season. It's hard to see them. Crack. The only way is it would be Michigan, and they would have to look incredible before the Ohio State and give Ohio State a really close fight. There's, or, there's only – go ahead. Or I think that you would have to have like a, a team like Bama or Clemson. Like I, you would need some help. And something that crazy, crazy. Yeah. Uh, because like you're i again like uh, we'll talk about cincinnati later um oklahoma state i don't know if they're the real deal like pac 12 or the the big 12 schools they kind of well i mean oregon you know, too oregon's not even in the mix yet yeah. Yeah. yeah that's actually exactly what i was just yeah. about to say because you have the perfect segue so just closing a little bit to this not only i think that bama can withstand a loss right now yes one because they beat down number four georgia right now bama has the best win in college football if not the best resume in college mm-hmm. football because A&M is looking very good this year. They are. And Bama beat down A&M, and then they beat down Georgia. Two really quality-ranked wins. They could afford a loss. But Oregon. Oregon hasn't even strapped up yet. They could run the table, and then what are you going to do, Michigan? It's hard argument, right? yeah. yeah. Like, if you have undefeated Big, Tw- Big 12 or Pac-12, uh, Pac then you're... And speaking screwed. of the Big 12, that's the perfect segue. Because there's... An intriguing season happening in one of the leagues, and it's the Big 12, right? It's something I didn't think that I'd see, right? The Big 12 being this dysfunctional. If I was to have bet you each $300 at the beginning of this season, 
the OU would be completely out of contention <laughs> yeah. to this point. Texas would be a dumpster fire. I would have believed that. I, sure. yeah, I, I definitely would have bought into that. Fair. And I'm a Texas fan. Fair. So. <laughs> but Oklahoma State would be the best team in the Big 12 undefeated and doing it off of their defense. How many of you would have taken that bet for three? Off the defense, no. Off Chuba Hubbard, yes. But That's I would have taken That's it off fair. Chuba Hubbard. But, but even in the Big 12, too, like you don't have teams that are being ran by running back. Like I... Most of the time in the Big 12, you have that big arm quarterback in it because it's such a wide open league. TCU is really the one team that's made a habit out of having. Oh, you had great running backs that were just always overshadowed. Yes, and that, that's what I'm talking about. It's just that's in the Big 12, you have to score so many points. You don't really have yeah. that time to be a ground and pound team. And so I, I think that's what's interesting with um, with Oklahoma State is because how different they are. Because they're, they're, they're a run heavy team that's also playing the defense, and no Big 12 team play defense. <laughs> No, do any of you think it's alarming that they just outlasted Iowa State this week? A little bit, but you look at the ways to beat Oklahoma State, I think there's two ways. You stop the run, you stop Trooper Hubbard, or you slow him down. Or number two, you attack them with the run. And that's exactly what yeah. Iowa State did. I mean, what did he have? A buck 85 or something like that? Rushing? That's how you do it. You compound them with the run right back, take the time of possession. Yeah, and you know, I think that the one thing, uh, this is why I'm kind of worried about Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. Because I think Andrew and I, we've talked a bit about some quarterbacks coming into this draft, but Brock Purdy was being mocked in some way too early drafts. Right? We've all been victim of it, myself included. <laughs> but he was being mocked as maybe QB three or four, yeah. depending on Trey Lance. And yeah. my God, he might be playing himself into the third round, and I hate to say it. Brock Purdy went out there, and I understand Oklahoma State has a good defense. But it can't be that good if your running back goes for 180 yards. Yeah. If you're going to be a first-round quarterback and your running back goes for 180 yards, when, when was the last time y'all remember in a Big 12 game that the quarterback, who's supposed to be the best offensive player on the team, had less yards than the running back? Been a while. <laughs> we're talking Adrian Peterson years, maybe? like that. E- we're talking yeah. a different era yeah. of football. That's wild. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you bounce back from that, but as as almost as you could say that's good Oklahoma State, that's not a one-off from Brock Purdy this year. Mm-hmm. He hasn't been impressive all year, which is really sad. He had a 54 QBR. Yeah. Mm. Can't be doing that, especially not in the Big 12. So as good as Oklahoma State is, I do look at a team like a Texas or an OU, and as bad as those teams have been, if Iowa State can stretch you that thin, what are you going to do when you play against a, a quarterback that's at least a, shown a bit more? Yeah, yeah, especially OU gaining steam going into the year and getting to that matchup with literally nothing to lose. Playoff hopes are gone, so it's like, all right, this is our national title. Let's, yeah. just, let's just blow our rivals out of the water. I think there's a huge difference between some of these conferences, and it really shows with uh, the Big 12 in terms of the just versatility of having either either have a good defense or a good offense. And for the most part, it's been good offenses. And Oklahoma State finally was like, okay, well, let's see what happens when you put a good defense yeah, in here. Yeah. But then whenever Oklahoma State, if they do crack into the playoffs, which I mean, sitting at six with the schedule they have, you know, very possible. Um, just like OU last year, it's going to be very, very obvious the difference in level uh, as soon as they play at Alabama or Ohio sure. State. 
And there's a real argument for Oklahoma State to get into this playoff, especially if the committee and mm-hmm. the rankings already favor them. Because we have to remember mm-hmm. right now the rankings aren't subject to the committee. The committee right. will do mm-hmm. its own thing, but they genuinely don't stray too far from no. the rankings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Historically, they don't. Putting them at six is interesting. Because right now, your top four, if I'm not mistaken, y'all correct me if I'm wrong, Clemson, Bama, Ohio State, and who's four now? Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Notre Dame's three right now, but yeah. Okay, okay. And then Georgia is right out there at five. Notre Dame's four, actually. Okay, Notre Dame's four. Georgia Georgia is at five, right? Georgia will probably, if they win out, play Bama in the SEC championship. If they get that second loss and Oklahoma State stays undefeated. Yeah. because, Because look, either Clemson or Notre Dame will take a loss. You're not going to have two teams because Notre Dame is in the ACC yep. this year. Yeah. So there won't be two undefeateds coming out of there, right? That could shake up the whole thing. And, you know, Chuba Hubbard is good enough to where I don't believe in Oklahoma State in the playoffs, but Chuba Hubbard's a dangerous college If you can have yeah. your defense get good enough to really hold teams up and then just dominate time of possession with Chuba Hubbard, you have a chance. And and that's why I think, too, like the Big 12, like I had said, is it's always built on offenses and no other, like, other than the Pac-12, there's no other really conference that's based their football team off of that. So whenever you actually get to playing them, like Oklahoma was doing um, the last few years where they just get in the playoff, they barely squeak in, but then they just ran, ran out of the the stadium mm-hmm. yeah um it, it's just a different kind of football and so I, I think that does make oklahoma state interesting um in that aspect being able to compete with those other conferences i think so and speaking of texas and ou and kind of this oklahoma state game you know i asked the question before i was more open-ended but this time i'm going to get very direct for you okay speaking specifically of texas and ou because we got to understand ou is coming off of a win a week where they picked up a win Texas is coming off of a week where they picked up a win against Baylor, which, you know, say what you will about each. That's a good win for where mm-hmm. Texas was yeah. right now, right? I know that hurts, Andrew. I know. <laughs> but for where y'all are, anything is good. And Baylor is one of those teams that I think if you give them time will be good. But how concerned are you about an Oklahoma State barely squeaking by Iowa State who didn't play all that well outside their running back when Texas and OU are picking up momentum? Because that game's coming up. Like I said, you play Oklahoma after they kind of figure it out, pick up some steam. They already have nothing to lose. Texas has nothing to lose. Um, I, I, I'm a Texas fan. I know we suck. So deep down, I think Oklahoma State's winning that game. But I, I think OU probably beats Oklahoma State, honestly. It feels like a trip-up game. I think that's good. And I, I think that's fair because the Big 12 always seems to have that where they don't really have the undefeated team that goes in there other than an Oklahoma. Because like Baylor, Oklahoma's the only shot usually. Baylor yeah. was like that for a while. TCU yeah. was like that for a while. Texas especially. Like they always get like they're almost there and they have that trip up game. Like Texas does it a lot. Um, but yeah, it's, it's you're getting closer and closer. But I don't know. I'm going to give OSU a lot of credit. I think uh... – I really think LSU might win out for the rest of the season. I could see them beating uh, OU. I don't really, I don't know how much I really favor OU right now because after such a historic, historically terrible start to the season, sure, they must all just. I mean, I can't imagine the uh, how the coaches are, you know, reacting, how the players are. It might be a lot of tension, but with this old OSU team, they have the the greatest blessing of being able to be great and then have a matchup like I said, where they barely squeaked by uh, Iowa State. For these players, it's eye opener. It's like, okay, we're not sure. untouchable. We're not. We need to focus in again. We got to relock in. 
And That's so a completely I, fair way. To I look really, at I really have a feeling that this OSU, this OSU team has a really great chance because no one has ever really kind of shown this kind of defensive talent. And I think it's the one thing the the Big Twelve needs. It needs Absolutely. a defensive heavy team. Now the problem is, how's the offense going to manage with the lack of depth and the need for? I mean, running on our third quarterback now. Third. I mean, like it's that's tough. So hopefully, by I think they win Texas this week. Uh, Kansas State's a very good matchup because Kansas State's kind of unpredictable. Uh, they could bounce out and have a. Absolutely. I don't know. Uh, if they stay undefeated by OU, I have a have a big favor towards Oklahoma State if they continue to show the defense they are and pick their offense up. But uh, you never know. Texas is an easy team to rub off. I mean, they drop over 40 points in the more than half their games. Uh, Sam Ellinger is a great quarterback. Um, but if you shut down Sam Ellinger, you shut down the, the, I mean, the core of their offense, like any other team. Some other teams, you know, might go to their running backs, might go to their receivers. But Sam Ellinger has been a very big cornerstone of that Texas offense. If that Oklahoma State defense can really, you know, keep him in check, I mean, they very, mo- very well might walk off with a blowout game this week. Now, since you, you got us there, I want to hear from our resident Texas fans. <laughs> on their thoughts on where Texas is now. Because I, I got to ask you, like, I know we had the conversation week one, right, about Herman, where y'all are, Billy Bowman decommitting, and then the next week releasing a top three that includes Yeah, OU, rivals, yeah. And he's favored there? That hurts, because let me tell y'all <laughs> what, I watched this kid play in person. I think he's a five-star. Mm-hmm. This kid right out of Denton Ryan is phenomenal. But where? What, what's your... Thoughts on Texas right now? So you mentioned the Baylor win is good, right? To me, maybe it's just the Texas negative thinker attitude being a fan after all these all these damn years we've had. It felt like to me we're just delaying the inevitable. I think week one I said we're going to lose three or four games going to. Zero percent chance we run the table. I think we're going to get smoked by Oklahoma State this week. Uh, Chuba Hubbard's probably going to run all over us. I just don't think this Baylor win really meant anything. It's it's a nice little pride win, but hey, I hope I'm wrong. I'll hey, I'll gladly eat my words, but I don't think I'm wrong. To be fair, <laughs> I think I'm even harder than you on yeah. it because I think that that's where y'all are at. Yeah. Is needing that pride win. To, it is what it is, but... But to be fair, I also think that y'all are so talented. You can on paper talent on paper, and that's, you know, that football isn't played on paper, yeah. right? Theoretically, though. Y'all should be able to go toe-to-toe with anybody in the Big 12. You think and, so? Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't think this is a team that trusts their coaching staff. No, not at Tom all. Tom Herman, I, uh, I was personally I was recruited by Tom Herman when he was at Houston. Um, and, you know, I'm never one to talk bad about anyone, but he's just not very trustworthy in terms of uh, his word. I remember when he was at Houston, uh, many recruits, would, I mean, he would tell you, you know, we need your position. We need you here. We need you there. He kind of would, you know, make it seem like he wants you. Or with the Houston team, he made it seem like he was going to stay with them after they had a great season right after being yep. – I can't remember who it was in the Peach Bowl, I believe. I know. Exactly. Right finished the year ranked eighth, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. No, that he was going to stay with them. And uh, yeah. he actually – he drove the school car for uh, Houston to the airport to go to Texas without telling anyone. Uh, he's kind of a shady character in the game. I really don't know if there's a lot of trust. And Texas, in my opinion, would have favored a lot better keeping uh, Coach Strong. He was he, he, he gave them – I mean, they, There's Texas, not a difference. Like you no, say. I, yeah, I was going to say, hard. I don't know about if it would be better with Strong, 
but I don't think it really changes. It's the same thing. You hit it right on the head with the coaching staff's probably yeah. the issue. We talked about it week one. It's culture. They feel, it feel I think like Texas as a general feels like they just deserve better and they're not actually going to go get it themselves. I'm sorry to say this stat to you again, right? Dude, but, you've told me this like 50 times in the last month. Because it, it's the most absurd <laughs> stat, right? When For people who get college football, it's, uh, it's a problematic stat that I don't think a lot of people realize. Since 2006, how many draft picks do you think that the University of Texas has put out? How many draft picks? In the first round. round. After that Vince Young draft. Within within how many years? 2006. Uh, Too many years for what the number is. Let me me guess like two. Six Six. in the first round. I I wanted to guess low because I just had a few. You knew it was going to be low. It has to be low. None of them have been on offense. Now, look, as I said to Andrew week one, the standard is not Alabama. Right, it cannot be yeah. Alabama, yeah. and thinking it should be is, you know, that's what you aspire to be, but you have to be realistic. Yeah. Since two thousand nine, Saban has sent thirty three players in the first round Easy. of the NFL draft. Yeah, that's just the opposite ends of the spectrum. Like I said, I'm not saying be Bama, but there is a yeah. large margin in between six. And 33. At least, like, have, like, 15. Like, one a year? Especially for what Texas is and should be. Yeah. It's, regardless of how bad they've been, you can't argue they're still one of the most recognizable brands in sports. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll say, like, I'm, I'll put my biases on the table. I, I absolutely hate Texas, but the thing is, I respect their team. I respect their <laughs> team because I, I grew up in a household where my father played at Tech. So, we naturally just did not like Texas. You didn't want to see burnt orange. But I loved watching Texas Tech versus Texas. I love watching Texas play OU. Because Texas, like you said, is one of the most recognizable teams. And this was the only Big 12 team we would see for a while really compete yeah, with 100%. OU for the championship. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't see Tech in there. You wouldn't see OSU. A little there. bit in Nebraska. Nebraska. Yeah, but Texas and yeah. OU were the two Big 12 teams that you knew yep. could compete. Absolutely. OU obviously can't do it anymore because, I mean, I don't know the reason why they can't, but they just get ran over every time they make it. But Texas, I mean, this is – they're big kids there. And I feel like Texas is in that range of, like, Michigan and – Penn State, where it's just like those big iconic brands, like Florida's starting. Florida's kind of coming back, yeah. but they're like, it, it's just where it's just like disappointing year after year for what the expectation should be on that type of branding. The I will push back against Penn State because I think you're a hundred percent right. But what you have to take into account is the Joe Paterno stuff happening. That is fair. Yeah. That is and fair. That, that yeah. that's gonna not and honestly, yeah. it's still incredible they are where they are after that. And it's that's incredible. where I was going. Yeah. Yeah. It is. James Franklin, what yeah. he has yeah. done at that program, if he's not, along with Dabo, right, and Lincoln yeah. Riley, if he's not the hottest name on the NFL coaching board, I don't know what you're doing because the man can establish a culture. Yeah, Texas should have gone. And give him his credit. He sucked in the pros, but Bill O'Brien was a nice bridge gap for Penn State from that crap to getting from Franklin. You're not wrong, yeah. right? Some guys are better college coaches. That is yeah. a real thing. Yep. And you know what? At the point when he tried to be a GM as well, <laughs> that might be exactly <laughs> it. Yep. He might be a college coach who will yep. never work in the NFL. Yep. Yep. Now, we're going to have a quick little talk about OU because I think we're all pretty much all in agreement there. The, the win against TCU is cool. TCU used to be pretty great at everything. I don't know what's up with TCU this year. They're not very good at everything. They got the number one or number two running back in the nation, depending on when you looked at it, Zach Evans. Interesting fact, he was the program's first ever five-star. Really? This past year. Wow. TCU, first ever five-star Zach Evans running back. Now, I don't know if y'all kept up with his recruitment. A whole lot of drama around that recruitment. He was committed to Georgia. He was there for a week, and then Georgia released him. Interesting. Don't know why. 
No, but there's there's been no negative talk as far as I'm aware as from the coaching staff. They just released him, and then he ended up at TCU. They're not very good, but OU beat them. So what do we think? Uh, I mean, we kind of talked about Rattler a little bit week one. I think Rattler and OU are both in the same scenario. It's like, it's a good win, but it's a little too little too late. Well, and like Rattler too, just how disappointing he's been. Because there's, there's been points in games where he's been benched. And I don't think, especially to where the expectations were, where you have the Heisman Trophy winner quarterback like year after year, or at least that kind of caliber of a quarterback, and the drop off to this, it's, I don't know, it's just disappointing. Their last three quarterbacks were all drafted first round, except Jalen Hurts, who was uh, early second round. But I mean, yeah. It's like a pretty good said, exception. Yeah. It's, a, it's a big <laughs> shoot. 3,900 yards. Yeah. Pretty good exception. <laughs> he was a MVP can I mean, a high number one overall picks, too. Yeah, yeah to be, and the Heisman. And Heisman, it's huge, huge shoes to fill when you go there as a quarterback. And yeah, he doesn't Absolutely. really. It's just it doesn't. And it's not like he's bad. He's not. No, at he's all. not no, bad. Not at all, not the, at all. the hard not part. Not. Rattler is more inconsistent than his hairstyle from a Saturday. Expected, <laughs> right? And look, this is the, he has. He will have the weirdest stat lines I've ever seen coming out of a game. Right, like the the, the game he lost where he threw the two interceptions to end it. To seal it. Yeah. Before that, if you looked at his stats, he was like 23 of 28, 389 yards, four touchdowns, two interceptions. Mm-hmm. But when the game mattered the most, he threw the interception. He will have the most... Perpl- you know what? I had a conversation with this about this same topic with PJ earlier. He is anti-Tim Tebow up to this point. Where Tim Tebow wouldn't be the best quarterback quarter one... All the way up until about five minutes left in the game. And then all of a sudden, there's Tebow. Rattler is the best quarterback on the field from the first quarter all the way up until five minutes left in the fourth quarter. And then I don't know what happens. And it's it's kind of similar to... Sam Ellinger, I think, is really similar to Tim Tebow as a player. It's just coming with the program. I think that's a really good comp. It's... I don't know. He's, He's somewhere between like him and Dak for me. Yeah, I, I agree. I have a little bit of a beef with Ellinger, and it's it's to be fair, it's nothing to do with Ellinger. I don't like the way they use him, right? I agree. Because yeah. I think that they use him correct for a portion of the game, and mismanagement, yeah. and then in the fourth quarter they put him in such a bad position Turn him on as yeah. a pocket passer. <laughs> that he's he's hurting his draft grade. Now, look, I don't mean to sound like I'm being hard on Rattler. Rattler is all time talented. Oh, yeah. As far as quickest, oh yeah, top stupid seven, ceiling, top seven quickest releases I've seen, right? Along with JT Daniels and Bryce Young, right? I'm talking lightning quick release. He's got a little bit of the Patrick Mahomes fluidity to him, and what do I mean when I say that? There is a thing in football that is a platform, right? Where can you be and throw the football? Quarterbacks for the longest time have had a traditional platform, stranding straight up, good form, mm-hmm. throw the football. Mahomes. Rattler, Bryce Young, JT Daniels. There's Russell Wilson, for God's sakes. There's a new era of quarterback. Kyler, too. Kyler. They have unlimited platform. They can be leaning over to one side, throw the ball side-armed, and deliver a dime. And it, it's weird, too, because it seems to come from those football players that are also playing baseball and they like come up in the baseball yep. background. Yeah. yeah, and Rattler has that same ability. So I don't mean to sound hot hard on him do i think that he's going to be maybe the best quarterback when he comes out i think he's got that ability yeah i think he's for sure yeah. got the, and he's at the right place for yeah it, right? Exactly. ou is absolutely the right place for it but 
That being said, I don't think that they're a serious contender to much of anything. Yeah, it's not yet. Yeah, he, yeah, like you said, he's still young too. He's a freshman. So by the time we let him develop, they'll be back. But this year, it's just not an OU season anymore. Yeah, they, and they've had some rough opt-outs. The number one receiver in the nation, for God's sakes, that they had in their class, Jaden Hassel, mm-hmm. got hurt for the season mm-hmm. right now. I don't feel too bad for him because they still have Theo Weiss and yeah. Marvin Mims, and they are both phenomenal. But nonetheless, they've had some losses that really hurt. Now, moving past the Big 12, because that's kind of a sinking ship that is sinking quicker by the day, (laughs) right? Let's talk about the ACC, because the ACC used to be a sinking ship that has now found a life raft. It's floating. It's floating. (laughs) It's done some things. And I think the most intriguing game of the week, I'll start mine off, what I thought it was last week. And it's got to be that Miami and Virginia game. Because Miami is, for whatever reason, usually plays down to their competition. Yes. And that's not going to work long term, right? For me, it was a little bit alarming that one in four Virginia stretched them the way Virginia did. What do y'all think? I agree. Um, That wasn't my top AC game of the week. But I, I just think the Canes are still in that area of just... We can be very stereotypical about this is what they're going to be because it's what they've been in the past, and that's just kind of where they're at still. Same with same with Florida State right now. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like Miami, too, they also seem to, to have this thing where they're, they have like that, that early 90s, late 80s type of like swagger that the U had, but they just can't. They don't it back up. it up. They, it's almost yeah. like they're just trying too hard to be that when they're not. You want it to come back so bad. Yes, oh, yeah. It'd be absolutely. awesome. College football is best. Especially yeah. for the ACC. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. They need it. Oh, yeah. That and especially be- being able to compete with Clemson in that, too. Like, it'd be absolutely incredible to watch that year in and year out. Because, look, every conference has somewhat of balance, right? I mean, there's a challenger to everyone. There's a challenger. Yeah. The, the Big Ten, Ohio State has pretty much all cemented themselves mm-hmm. ahead of everybody. Mm-hmm. But there's challengers, well, yeah. right? There's It's interesting. The pack is obscure. I was about to say the Pac-12, like you have Oregon that's kind of there, but then they like trade places like USC was like somewhat there. Mm-hmm. But it's not as consistent. Yes. But anything happens in Pac-12 after yeah. dark. So. Now, yeah. look, I get it. Bama's been good for a decade, right? Mm-hmm. They've been a powerhouse. So I understand it doesn't look like the SEC's balanced, but my God, just LSU watch, and Georgia and like, watch the games on a week-to-week basis. Yeah. There's a lot of parity in that league. The ACC needs Miami to come back. And, you know, what... I think I might know what your game of the week is. What do you think so it is? Before, was it Notre Dame? It is game? Notre Dame. Okay. And I, I think that it opens up an interesting question. Yep. Should Notre Dame move to the ACC? Yes. Oh, my God. They did it in basketball. It had an immediate impact on the conference for the better. And here's my here's why it was my favorite thing of the week. I told myself, what what year was it? Um, Bam and them the title. 2013. The last year of the BCS. 2013? 2013. That day. I told myself I'm never buying into another Notre Dame team again until they actually do it, uh-huh. actually win the big game. So I'm still not bought in fully, but 10 days till the Clemson game. If they can at least put up a fight against Clemson and be that challenger team in the conference, that rivalry will be incredible. Mm-hmm. It will be incredible. Yeah. And look, they're the closest of anybody in the yeah. ACC right now. Because I like North Carolina. Yeah. I really like North, but they play with more moxie than anything else. And this doesn't feel like a long-term thing. 
No, it feels like they're still... It's almost week to week. Yeah. Like... <laughs> to be fair, I think that it is a bit more long. I understand what you're saying, but I think that's kind of the playing with Moxie, where you don't really have a scheme that you've figured out yet. You're just playing it's, with so much heart. Yep, it's like a year or two away type of team. Exactly. Maybe, but they also kind of relied on the quarterback. Like, look at, look what happened after Trubisky before they got help. They went down yeah. major. But here's the thing with North Carolina. They're recruiting really well. Sure. Right? Mac Brown sure. is absolutely Because they, they lost a five-star out of this class, right? I don't know if you heard about this, but check mm. this. This is incredible. They lost a five-star out of this class. Not because he decommitted. No. Nothing like that. They lost him because the young man reclassified to the class of 2020. This is a five-star cornerback that's in the class of 2021 that reclassifies to the class of 2020 because he knows that his football area isn't playing in high school. He doesn't get to have a senior season. So instead of waiting around over the summer, he takes some classes and says, well, in my senior year of what would be high school, I'm just going to become a freshman at North mm -hmm. Carolina. The young man's starting yeah. right now at North Carolina. And make no mistake, he's a baller. Mm -hmm. They lost him, and they still have a chance at a top 10 recruiting class in the nation. There's not many teams that could lose a five-star and still have one yeah. in the pikes. They would be one of five teams right now. This is a crazy stat. If, if he never reclassified, they would be one of five teams to have multiple five-stars. Because right now, there's only four in the next recruiting cycle. Okay. So, ACC-wise... Notre Dame is incredibly interesting. Now, geez, my. That's the dog, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> a uh, roughhouser. But where do you stand after that game with Pitt, with Notre Dame? With Pitt? Yeah. Where do, you, where do you see both Pitt? Because Pitt started off the year hot. They were undefeated, and they have been sliding. Yeah, but they fall into the same category that a lot of the ACC falls into with me, where it's you're just not really going to compete. You may catch someone one random week where you're playing your best, they're not playing their best, and Pitt does have that potential to pull off the upset. But way more of the storyline was Notre Dame in 10 days. We'll find out. Clemson, I, they're either going to get blown out of the water or they're going to make it a hell of a game. I don't know which one. My hot take for Clemson this year is, um, is Trevor Lawrence's season. There's not much that's going to be able to stop it, yep. in my opinion. Uh, I want to give Ohio State the credit, but – Last year, in the I think a lot of people get Ohio State bad credit. They don't really put Justin Fields up there with Trevor Lawrence. Um, and I was wondering why, and I looked into it, just kind of on myself. And when I watched that, I can't remember who they were playing. I think, were they playing each other, Clemson and Ohio State, last year in the playoffs? Yes. That, yeah. And that last play where Justin Fields meant to throw it to the right, but he threw it to the – he meant to throw it to the left because he thought the receiver was going left, but the receiver was going right. Those kind of mistakes don't happen, bro. Exactly. No, those kind of mistakes don't happen. And those are the tiniest little mistakes you think would never mess yeah. thing up. And, and it's it's like I was talking to him about this like like last week even before. Like Trevor Lawrence just looks like an entirely different playing field. Like that dude is yeah. different. Like, like he's, he's not a college quarterback. No, he's yeah. literally like the perfect quarterback prospect. And they've been talking about him for forever since he was I want to oh. say 14, 13, 14 oh, yeah. years old, they were saying, like, yeah. this kid is going to be, like, the yeah. best. Like, Personally, I, I remember, I, I think for me, the the biggest prospect I ever saw at quarterback was Cam Newton when he was coming yeah. out wow. huge. And I think Trevor Lawrence just blows it out of the water. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, I think. He's an inch taller. He kind of reminds me of, uh, not to bring basketball into it, but a LeBron James sense of just this. 
everyone knows he's the man for the yep. first overall, as much as Justin Fields deserves it. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is a once in a generation and, and like type of quarterback. You saw it last year too. I believe it was against Ohio State when he had that. I want to say like sixty yard run. Yes. Yeah. Oh, he's more mobile than yeah. people yes. give him credit. He's and got almost because that of the way Joe Burrow. Yeah, yeah. The Joe Burrow mobility with their. They're not a guy where you're going to call designed quarterback runs for. But you could. You're, you're just but they're away. smart in <laughs> the pocket. They're and mobile. they're mobile enough and they're smart enough mm-hmm. to pick their times and really, really hurt you with their legs. Russell Wilson's kind of like that as well. Where they, they, they try and protect him um, more to, than just like giving him quarterback powers and stuff like that. So, I, yeah. you said earlier that you haven't been up on Notre Dame since that 2013. Yeah, I completely bought out. I sold every stock I had in Notre and Dame. And I hate to be the Debbie <laughs> Downer. I'm here at the table saying, everybody listening, you can continue selling stock. Okay. Here's why. I, hey, I believe you. <laughs> Look, I, and, you know, I talked to Nick the other day. He's uh, He's got a lot of podcasts on the network. Y'all, if y'all haven't checked him out, on the Bump podcast, the Nick Barlaw show, they're great, you need to. But I was talking to him the other day, and he's pretty high on Notre Dame, and he makes a great case for it. But here's the thing. Book was almost 50% completion, right? Their quarterback was almost 50% completion, and a running back, their leading rusher, didn't have more than 50 yards. I don't think that's a winning recipe on the grand scheme of college football. I don't think you can do that against Georgia, Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, and even hope to be in the game past the second quarter. Which is why they need to be in the ACC. I agree. You will get better if you're playing the independence doesn't work because, like we saw in 2013, yeah, they they played great in the regular season. They looked awesome. And then they got to Bama, and they got smacked in the face. Mm -hmm. That just happens when you play almost a cupcake schedule. Granted, they have the exceptions with USC, who's not the same as they used to be. But whenever you get up to that upper echelon of teams, it's just not the mm-hmm. same. There's such a big difference in skill level. In size. In yeah, size. in size, yes. In size. Yeah. yeah. I. Now, the other team in the ACC that was really intriguing to me this weekend, and you you two, I want to have y'all talk about it first, because y'all said that y'all think they're super week to week. I'm a bit higher on them. North Carolina took a terrible loss last week to Florida State. Maybe when it's all said and done, I think you could argue it might be the worst loss of the college football season, given where each respective program is. Yeah, that's fair, yeah. Right? But what a way to come back against ranked NC State. What what are y'all thinking after they come back and respond against an NC State team like this? So they are... They're really talented enough to be there, but it just still feels like something's missing. Because you have the quarterback. You have two running backs that are great running backs. And then you're so deep at receiver, too, where you have, like, Daz Newsom on one side. I can't remember the other guy's name. Um, but you're you're so deep at the skill positions. It, it feels like you should be there. And if, you, if everything's clicking at the right time, you can be there. But there's something missing for me. I don't know what it is. See, that's a better description. Maybe not so much as a week-to-week team, but something's missing. And I don't know what it is, but it feels like to me they can't compete against that next level of teams. And don't get me wrong, they never should have lost the uh, the game a couple weeks ago. They should not have lost that. They just started slow, got caught in the wrong day. Uh, great game this week. Sam Howell played well. I think that loss is going to be a drop in the bucket. I don't think it's going to be a problem for them, but I just I don't think they have what it takes yet to compete against that next echelon of teams. Yeah, and I think that's fair, right? I don't know that they're there quite yet. I think that, you know, they are recruiting at a level that could get them there, mm-hmm. but you know, it's it's Absolutely. hard. It's hard when you're going up against Clemson. Now, to your point, 
their running attack legitimately might, might be the best in the nation. I understand ETN is incredible, and I'm going to be a homer. I understand Najee Harris might be the most intriguing running back prospect yeah. in the draft. But these running backs at North Carolina, they're something different. They have a one-two punch like I haven't seen since maybe Reggie Bush and Lindell White. Really? Wow. Not even um, Gurley and Nick Chubb? This is different, man. I mean, it's literally lightning in a bottle and then a hammer coming at you. And look, just this week alone against a ranked team, and we all know NC State usually has a good defense. Williams, Javante Williams, averaged 8.4 yards per carry. Mm. Michael Carter averaged 6.2 yards per carry. Oh, an that's your one-two. It's <laughs> an issue. I mean, that's look, I think that as an ACC team, here's my question. Do you think we would be switching the place of how we are talking about Notre Dame and North Carolina, if North Carolina doesn't drop the game to Florida State. That, Flo- that North Carolina is number two in the ACC as opposed to three to four. I think so. Based on talent and like expectations coming into this year, I think so. So are they ahead of Notre Dame? I think you have to put Notre Dame ahead of them right now. I think Notre No, Dame I'm saying is- if they don't lose that game. Is that what, yeah, is that what yeah, you're asking? Yeah, that's the question. I'll put them ahead just off the personal of I don't believe in Notre Dame. So I, I would take this UNC. I, I still might take the UNC team over. So right now, the way we're talking about both teams, and you have to, because Notre Dame is undefeated and you have to only, you can only win who you play, right? Notre Dame is probably the second best team in the ACC okay. behind Clemson. Yeah, no doubt. If, if we don't have that loss last week of North Carolina losing to Florida State, North Carolina, Clemson, and Notre Dame are all undefeated. Where do you rank them one, two, three? Assuming you're like me and put Clemson number one. I mean, Clemson to me is undisputed number yeah. one. Um, I still have Notre Dame number two. That's fair. Um, I'm not too familiar with the schedule that North Carolina has faced though up to this point. So I mean, I don't know. You know, a lot of these teams can have a good ranking that carries from the season before. Maybe they took out a team early on, um, but if their schedule is not showing, you know, a lot of difficulty. It's hard to put them up there with someone like Clemson and Notre Dame because those two. I mean, Notre Dame, like I said, it's independent. It's easy for them to kind of you know squeak into the ACC and kind of show their dominance because they play around. They play multiple levels of football in different uh, divisions. So I have to put Notre Dame, keep them at number two because I mean they're versatile. They That's know what they they played around. They know they know a sense of what different football is like. I mean, I'm sure a lot of Big Twelve teams very surprised whenever they play a lot of these SEC teams and just kind of get the level of difference of size on the field, of speed. Uh, so I had to put Clemson solidified number one and solidified the Clemson number one uh, team in the nation. Uh, as much as I want to give Ohio State the credit in Alabama, Alabama, um, Trevor Lawrence is different. Yeah. No, Trevor Lawrence is different. Travis Etienne's different too. Different. Yeah, that is true. Now, that is true. You know, well, when we get to the Bama, we'll have this <laughs> yeah. conversation, right? Because I, I have a fun little thing. Right, about three quarterbacks we've talked about today that we're going to do. But I think all things considered, where I stand is I would put North Carolina number two. Okay. Um, but I think that you make such an interesting point in the fact that usually when you play non-conference games, it's not a very good team. Mm-hmm. The fact that Notre Dame doesn't have a conference and they've been allowed to kind of pick and choose and they've played big teams out of every conference – is a bit of a net positive because they're sure. exposed to so much. They're not that's going to be Whether they played well or not, they saw it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point. I've never thought of it. 
But now it's time for my favorite part of the show. And we're not starting off with Bama because there's I know exactly there. where you're going. <laughs> we got to talk about SEC football. And I love part. me some SEC football. Now, the team I dislike the most in the SEC naturally is probably Auburn. Why? Because it's a rivalry and the kick six, yeah. right? And the way Fair. KM beat us. I don't know if y'all remember, Bama was remember. up by like 24 and Cam came yeah. back and just stomped us. That was incredible. Ran into the end zone, yelling at the crowd. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable moment. I'm so glad I got to see it. I hated that it was on my squad. Mm-hmm. But Auburn this weekend played Ole Miss. And Auburn, for what seems like the third weekend in a row, got gifted the game by the refs. <laughs> so Auburn's supposed to be a good team, but what, what are we thinking here? I think one of the problems is Bo Nix doesn't look like what Bo Nix was supposed to be coming in this year. That's been the issue for the last two years. But, it, yeah, it's just like you, you think he's going to take that next step, and then he just, like, he hasn't. He, he has those flashes where he just looks like an incredible talent, but then, like, he really – he can't put it all together for, consi- like, consistent bases. The thing that's scary – I think that Bo Nix's ceiling is Sam Ellinger. A little, a little bit. I I think they're very identical, and that's why I'm not very high on Ellinger. Okay. Is because the whole process they play with, you know who they try and beat me? There's a guy, I won't say Johnny, because neither of them play with the reckless endangerment. And look, it worked for Johnny, but we can't, none of us can sit here and say he didn't play with a reckless endangerment. But they all try and play like Josh Allen to me. Sam Ellinger and Bo Nix. Mm-hmm. The difference is, is they're not Josh Allen because Josh Allen is somewhat of a unicorn. He's what, bigger and a better arm, and like what he does is somewhat freakish. He's still got a long ways to go, but when you're developing the way he is, that's crazy. Bo Nix to me, they try and play him like that. And look, they lost last week against Kentucky, I believe it was. They took that loss to last week. Were any of you surprised when they got upset? I know I wasn't. No, because like I said earlier on, Auburn's that team where I just, they're like Notre Dame, I don't buy in. I don't take them that seriously. Yeah, I I can't. Yeah. Every year they lose a game they shouldn't. Week five is a good, I mean, it's a good, kind of clearly shows them. They played Georgia, had an opportunity to put their talents on there. And I mean, you was 27-6. It's like, okay, so competing with the bigger, the more consistent talent. Let's see what how you're playing. And I, I just don't think Auburn's – I mean, they haven't been in position to really compete for the SEC in terms of taking it for their own since Cam Newton. So, I got a question for all three of you. My favorite thing happened this weekend out of the SEC. What do y'all think it is? Hmm. If you had to give one guess. SEC? Yeah. Beating Tennessee seems too easy of an answer. Is that it? No. Okay, no. good. That was right. Um – I say Auburn getting slandered because of the way the way they won. That's always amazing. Don't okay. get me wrong. I'm <laughs> always here for it. I'm the first at the time. Maybe how well Bama played without Waddle. I have a whole spiel about that earlier because or later. I, I don't know how I feel about that. But that's a good one. No. Do you have a guess? LSU beat down on South Carolina? No, 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 no. We're going to talk about the puddle kittens here in a little bit. <laughs> the, the, the best thing coming out of the SEC this weekend, and I don't even know if y'all saw it, to be fair, because you have to follow it on Twitter pretty hard, especially the SEC on Twitter, because I don't even – they just started talking about it on ESPN okay. today. Lane Kiffin was fined $25,000 oh, yeah. for saying that the refs sucked in the game. Right after he tweeted that and they said he was getting fined, the SEC came yep. out and said, like, Lane was right. 
the call was wrong. He's still getting fined. Immediately after that, Lane starts tweeting. And he says he's going to pay the SEC. At first, I swear to God, this is his tweet. He says, I'm going to pay them in 20... 5,000 pennies. And then he realizes that that's not right. (laughs) Yeah, that's not not how that works. He progressively (laughs) just keeps adding a zero until he gets there. He got it wrong like four or five times. But my favorite thing is he'll probably face another fine from the SEC, but this is exactly what the SEC needs. The SEC, while it's been great, has had these stuck-in-the-med football coaches, and Saban is a very progressive guy, right? Like. There's a lot to say about Saban. He doesn't seem like it, but one thing, he's always took his stood for his players, mm-hmm. right? He's always done that. And, you know, you wouldn't expect that at a university like Alabama. Did you ever think in y'all's lifetime you would see the head coach at University of Alabama, forget it, Saban, marching side by side with his players in a racial equality movement? Oh, yeah. No. That's, yeah. I that's didn't fair. Expect it. Right, and he's an old guy, so... He's very progressive, but the SEC needs that sort of drama. And Lane Kiffin is just what it was ordered, because that's hilarious, right? Like, I just died laughing. Now, I want to talk about something you said, because you brought up LSU, and you don't know. Andrew knows very well. I don't even know, Jameson, if you know. Because of how bad the Bayou Bengals this year, how bad they are, they are no longer the Bayou Bengals anymore. Right? They will earn that nickname back when they are good. The Bayou Bengals are the Puddle Kittens. Mm-hmm. And I'm willing to concede <laughs> some ground after the beatdown they gave South Carolina and finding TJ Finley. I'm willing to agree that they have upgraded from the Puddle Kittens to the Foul Freshwater Cubs. So what would be the next upgrade? I haven't figured that out yet. Don't get me wrong. I'm working on it. I don't know what comes after Cub. I think I'll take a different direction with foul freshwater. But okay, all right. I, I liked like the foul like freshwater this week. It's it a good transition. But look, TJ Finley was phenomenal, right? Yeah. And of course, LSU fans, if you're listening, I'm gunning at you because y'all have the crowd right now, right? I get to do that because y'all have been doing it to my team, and it's mm-hmm. deservedly so. Look, you had the greatest season all time, arguably the greatest quarterback to come out of college football. So it's, it's well-deserved. But do you think that this is a momentum game for LSU, or is it just South Carolina being South Carolina? South Carolina, South Carolina, plus what does it matter? I mean, you're just playing for pride at this point if you're LSU, which is fine, but in a title defense season, kind of depressing. No, it is, but I, I think that's what's so interesting about LSU is you, you can't really discount the fact that they lost, I want to say, like, 10 out of 11 starters on offense. Absolutely. Oh, I think they only returned six starters. Yeah, they only returned oh. six. But at the same time, if you consider yourself to be in that pedigree of teams in college football, you should have been able to reload. That's fair. Well, they're not. But they consider themselves to but, be. But look, there's a difference, right? And this is the thing. This is why I'm not surprised, and you made a great point. I'm not surprised where LSU is right now. Because a lot of people, I took a lot of flack on Twitter, on YouTube, for my comments about LSU. I was told I was a hater. And you know what? If they'd have came out and been great, that'd have been fair. I wasn't being a hater. I was just trying to be very realistic Mm -hmm. about where you are. You just lost 15 draft picks. You've never had that style offense. And the guy that brought it in left. And everybody told me, oh, just because Joe Brady came in and gave this you know, playbook to them, you think it's going to change when he leaves? You know what my answer was on Twitter? Sure, Joe Brady may have left the keys to the Ferrari at LSU, but he took the Ferrari with him. Yeah. 
to the Carolina Panthers. And look, look what Carolina Panthers are doing right now with Teddy Bridgewater. With a bunch of like... And no McCaffrey. Yeah. And no... So Joe Brady is the real deal. I called that when he was a coordinator at the Saints when he was an analyst. But I thought that this was coming. Right, even for a team like Bama, and this is the one pushback I'll say, for a team like Bama, it's even hard when you have someone completely revamp your whole offensive identity, leave within one year. Now, Coach O did say two profoundly stupid things this offseason. He said S. Minor called 85% of the plays last year. That was dumb. S. Minor has been there since 2015. That offensive that offense at LSU outside of Fortnite has sucked since yeah, 2015. Yeah. So you're not convincing me that he suddenly decided to learn how to play call last year. It was different for a reason. That was not a good statement. And two was saying that Bo Pelini is a better defensive coordinator than Dave Aranda, the gentleman who coached them up to the DBU moniker, right? Already, that's not good. But this is, I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle of both of you, where it's a nothing win and that it's South Carolina. But at the same time, if they would have done it with Miles Brennan, I would agree with you, Andrew, that it's just a nothing win. They, they did it with a new quarterback, and the new quarterback was highly effective. I think it gives them momentum, but to your question, to what end? Yeah, it's it's a nice hope thing. Like, at least you have something to hang your hat on if we're not completely dead. We at least have something to look forward to for next season, but it's still just, it is what it is. Yeah. There's, no, there's no coming back from what already happened at the beginning of the season, so... I think that they can rebound. I don't know to what degree. Like, I don't think they're beating Bama. No. I, I No. They're supposed to... I don't know if they're going to replay Florida, if that game's going to be... But that's going to know. be a fascinating game. Mm-hmm. Um, now let's... We've been beating around the bush because this one's going to hurt me. Bama versus Tennessee this weekend. And it doesn't hurt me because Bama won maybe the oldest rivalry in the SEC. Maybe one of the oldest rivalries in college football. You wouldn't know it because Tennessee... Air close rivalry. Yeah. yeah, Tennessee hasn't won in so long. <laughs> But make no mistake, this is a historic rivalry. Even though we decimated them, we lost what I, who I consider to be maybe the best player in college football. Jalen Waddle, the first player of the game. Where are y'all thinking Bama goes from here after a top 10 guy in the NFL draft, at least top 20, and goes down? I... What's like incredible to me is I want to say it was Nick Saban himself said that he has the fastest first step that he's ever seen. And that's that's coming from the same university where you spent four years with Julio Jones and Amari Cooper and um, Henry Ruggs and, and like just start Jerry, yeah. Jerry Judy because yeah. Jerry Judy was supposed to be like this all time talent coming yeah. out and like Waddle overshadowed all of them. Um, and so like, yes, they looked good without him, but that type of like game changing talent, I don't think you can dis- discredit how much of a loss it's going to be you can't but i'll go to the other side i was even more impressed of how they played without him so to me the mindset doesn't change obviously the mindset doesn't change you're alabama it's nick saban the mindset's not changing you want to win a national championship but i don't think the expectations are any different i think they are going to get to that same level and the fact that they're able to do what they did without waddle speaks volumes to me yeah i think that that's a real thing now i know the stat you're talking about jameson what it is, is Waddle is the fastest human, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong here, so don't quote me, but I'm fairly certain. As far as athletes go, he is the quickest athlete in the first 15 yards they've tested ever, even more so than Usain Bolt. He's got a quicker burst Jeez. than Usain Bolt. <laughs> That's ridiculous. He will run somewhere in the 4 5 range of 40-yard dashes. 
Which gets me to an interesting thing because I don't know if y'all heard Monday, which is when Saban does his weekly pressers to begin the week. He recaps the game, talks about what they saw in film. He likened Jalen Waddle, I think it's the perfect analogy, to a basketball star. He said, how do you replace the things AI gives you? Mm -hmm. And look, Bama, to your point, They've got great guys. John Mechie right now is number one in the nation in yards per catch, right? He has 20. When he gets the ball, it averages 29 yards. And they still have, what's his name, uh, Devontae Smith? Devontae Smith, yeah, Slade yeah. Bolden, John Mechie. And I got to tell, tell everybody out there, there's a freshman lurking that I've heard things about that this kid is going to be the next big star. And now it's his time. Javon Baker. He's a bigger kid, but... He's the one receiver they said pressed Waddle in agility. Wow. He's six foot three. Look out for him. But look, I just named all those guys. You want to know the only replacement in football for Jalen Waddle? Truly, if you wanted to get a guy to come in there and replicate what Jalen Waddle does, there's only one name, and you can't get him. It's impossible. Who's that? It's Tyreek Hill. Hmm. Yeah, it's true. There's nobody. I hate you and I, Andrew, have talked about this. I love Henry Ruggs. I yeah, hate Ruggs, when, I know where you're going. Yeah. I hate when everybody tried to say, oh, he's their Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill and what he does is completely different than what Ruggs does. Ruggs is much closer to Goodwin as far as straight, straight line, line yeah. speed. I'm going to burn everybody out here. Sorry. It, yeah. It's in terms of like that route versatility and just like that the the mental aspect that goes into it too. Because Tyreek Hill, like not only is he good as a route runner, but he's like, they can almost use him like a tight end where he finds an open zone, but he's just so fast to get there that you can't cover it. Which is something you develop years into the league. Like Tyreek Hill didn't come in with that. No, yeah. But it's, it's, I understand the Ruggs comparison, but I definitely get what you're saying. It's different right now. Well, I could argue Waddle's further ahead to this point in his college career than Tyreek Hill was because Tyreek, and that's not Tyreek Hill's fault. They were using him as a running back, if y'all remember a lot when he was at Oakland. He never really got to dedicate his time at receiver. Waddle has... That's only natural. And he's at Alabama. I was going to say, and it's Bama. He was coached by the same receiving coaches that were talking to Jerry Judy about route running. And God's sakes, he was in the same room learning how to run routes Mm -hmm. with Jerry Judy. So, you know, that's a huge loss. Mechie's great. Slade Bolden, I think, is one to really watch out for. Um, He is really twitchy, and he runs beautiful routes. He's going to be a perfect slot. That's a big loss, though. Now... What do you think is a bigger storyline coming out of that game? The fact that Waddle's down and out, or that Mac Jones was 13 yards short of having four straight 400-yard games in the SEC. And remember, he got taken out in the fourth quarter. He got taken out almost to begin the fourth quarter. Uh, biggest storyline is definitely still Waddle. Because That's it's, fair. It's Jalen Waddle. But Mac Jones has been way better than myself, or I think anyone could Anybody. have expected no. this season. Yeah, especially coming after like Tua, because Tua was like the first sure. really huge good, like Bama yeah. quarterback that's been there. But like Mac Jones is starting to kind of grow in that. What is he? Is he a sophomore? Mac is Mac is a red shirt junior senior. He is an SEC graduate though. So okay. if he wants to stay, it'll be as a graduate player. I don't know that he stays, though, because he is putting up some fantastic numbers. Look, I said that there was a little game I wanted to play at the end here, right, about three different players. I'm going to give you all three different stats. So I'm going to write these down for you all as I say them. 
Here's QB1, okay? QB1 of this three-team comparison is 90 completions out of 115 attempts, 1,518 yards, 12 touchdowns. This is all just this season? This season. QB2 is 108 of 148, 1,544 yards, 15 touchdowns. QB3 is 77 one out of 119 attempts for 1,151 yards and nine touchdowns. How many yards did the second quarterback have again? 1,500. I'm going to say either two or three is Zach Wilson. No. No, really? What a, what a guess. That's a okay. young man that absolutely, he could have been put on this list. Okay. He's in this echelon. Yeah. Good good guess, though. Is, is it not uh, Kyle Trask? No, and here here's the hint. We've talked about all three of them. On the podcast today. What was the third stat? Sam Howell's one of them, for sure. It has to be. There's one name, Sam Howell. Is it that kid from North Dakota? The third stat was 77 77 completions out of 119 attempts, 1,151 yards, nine touchdowns. Oh, man. Spencer Rattler won? No. Okay, I was going to say, that'd be crazy. Okay, see, never mind. This is is just a wild year. Is Sam Ellinger one of these? No. Ooh, no, that was a good guess. Just no, that is a good guess. No. Jay has no. been playing long enough, yeah. Y'all want me to give you the... the oh, this is like his, his career? No, no, this, no, this is this season. season. Okay, this season. Yeah, this season. Y'all want me to give you the, the the names? Yeah, just give the names. Quarterback one, who only has 25 incompletions and 1,518 yards and 12 touchdowns, is Mac Jones. Okay. Quarterback two that has 108 completions out of 148 attempts. That's so gotta be Howell, right? 40 incompletions. Really? He has 40 incompletions, so 15 more than Mac Jones. But only what is that? Uh, 26 more yards than yeah. Mac Jones and three more touchdowns. That's Trevor Lawrence. Okay. Surprised we didn't get QB three, <laughs> 77 out of 119, 1,151 yards, nine touchdowns. That's Sam Howell. Blindly, Mac Jones is putting together statistically one of the best years in college football, right behind Trevor Lawrence. I mean, his numbers, when I just give you that blind, you wouldn't think Mac Jones would be that close to Trevor no, Lawrence. No. Especially think about this. What defenses has Trevor Lawrence played? ACC. Mac no. Jones played the number one defense in college football, Georgia, and hung 417 yards on. The young man is putting... He has been hyper-impressive. Yeah. Is he better than Trevor Lawrence? No. No, no, no. no. Is he, I'm not taking it there. Is Are you going to say he's like maybe in the Burrow like type of trend? Where, cause Burrow maybe in the really, Burrow like one year incredible trend. Because Burrow, like he didn't really pick up steam until after... So here's the thing I will say. Mac Jones looked good last year. He had two interceptions to close out the Iron Bowl. Those two interceptions ended up being the difference in the game. But here's the thing. One of those interceptions was super fluky. He threw it. It hit Najee's back. The defender caught the ball. Najee never turned around. And it was a desperate throw. Shouldn't have been thrown. Super fluky. He was good last year. Um, So I think it's a little bit more than the Burrow thing, right? But I don't think he's got the upside of Burrow. I think he's an incredibly intriguing quarterback who I think is playing his way into high draft pick contention because out of all the stats I just gave you, there's another one that is just as absurd. Let me see this. Okay, here we go. 
on passes 30-plus yards downfield. Mac Jones' completion percentage on them is 79% on 30-plus yards downfield. That's number one in college football. He has 588 yards in that stat. That's number one in college football. And five touchdowns, one in college football. The young man is playing at a higher level, and we haven't even begun to talk about Najee Harris, Yeah, yeah. who is running his way into Heisman conversation. It hurts mm-hmm. because it's not, yeah. is here this yeah. year, right? And Lawrence is here this yeah, year. Yeah, you just can't do it this year. I, I get it. But this, this Bama team is coming together. The defense is looking better, right? Here's the part I'm disappointed about with the defense. I want to get y'all's opinion on this. The defensive front isn't great. They're not generating a lot of pressure. The linebackers are getting picked on for the most part with running backs out the backfield and tight ends. That's been the two areas that Bama has been just killed. Or when they try some funky formations where we have a receiver one-on-one with the safety, but that's usually just some fluky play-calling timing. But the secondary has been really good. Pat, Pat Sertain? Yep. Amazing. True freshman Malachi Moore maybe had the play of the game. I don't know if y'all saw it. The running back ran to the left side. It was a left side stretch. Josh Job makes contact originally. Malachi Moore comes in, makes contact, strips the football, picks it up, touchdown. Mm. That's a freshman playing on a Nick Saban defense. He's great. Where are y'all at with Bama's defense? Because I know they got flushed by Ole Miss. And I, I think a lot of it is, is like you were talking about, the defensive line and linebackers, a lot of their talent went to the league. And they, they obviously had, what, Quinnen Williams? They had... Um, Quinnen Williams, Deron Payne, Reggie Ragland, like, Reuben Foster. Yes, like you, you're... Maybe it's just that they don't have that next guy there yet. But I, I can't remember the guy's name. There's a defensive end on Alabama's roster that they're saying, like... Will Anderson. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I did a video on him. He's he's freakish, yeah. right? Like, he... Bama hasn't been generating a lot of pressures on paper or sacks. But if you watch the game, they're making the quarterback very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And the secondary is good enough to hang on just long enough for the front to make them uncomfortable. And that's when our linebackers get picked apart with the tight ends, the running backs out of the backfield. I'm hopeful, right? I don't think that there's much more of a test. Bama plays Mississippi State this weekend. That should be a slaughter fest. We'll see. Now, the last game from last weekend I want to talk about, because you brought it up earlier, and it's, it's a real thing, is Cincinnati destroyed SMU. That is a win that the committee could look at when it's all said and done. Where are we sitting with Cincinnati? My thing is, and this has been my problem since the start of the college football season this year, the end of this season is going to be so difficult with who gets in and who doesn't based on like like the UCF stuff. That was bad enough, and that was a full season. If we get down to the end and Cincinnati's undefeated, but you have one loss, I don't know, Ohio State, or one loss, whoever it may be, you really think the committee's going to put Cincinnati in? There's no way. So let, let's say... Like Georgia, Bama, they meet again in the the championship game. Let's say Georgia beats them, and then you have a one loss one, Bama, one, one, one loss yeah. Georgia. Like you have to put those two in. Absolutely, Trevor, Trevor Lawrence. If, if Clemson's in, Ohio State's in. Like you, you really can't argue for Cincinnati to get in over a one loss powerhouse team, basically. So they won't. I don't think Cincinnati will get in. That's uh, there's no way. But if there is two loss teams, then I think they can. But there has to be so many of them yeah. because the. It's just you have to have Notre Dame lose twice too. Exactly. Like yeah. even a Notre Dame is going to get in. Yeah. As this pod is coming to an end, there's two more things I want to talk about, and they're fairly large topics. The first being, it, this kind of brings in a juxtaposition in the argument, and I had a conversation on last week's podcast talking about it. 
is this reason to expand the college football playoff? Because like I said, this year, it doesn't matter who Cincinnati had scheduled outside of their conference. They could have had Alabama. It doesn't matter when COVID hits, right? This year, a BYU, they could have had Georgia scheduled, but it doesn't matter when COVID hits. You have to play who's in your conference. So you can't, you can, but it's a bad year to penalize someone just for that. And I get it. That's what we have to do. That's the reality of it. But does this open up the argument for more college football teams? Because you have teams that if they run the table, Cincinnati, BYU, deserve because they they can only beat who's on their schedule. And that's exactly what they did. And look good doing it. The flip side is, what do we think Cincinnati does against Bama? Yeah, that's that's why I'm saying the one-loss teams get in over it because the, the committee's not going to put them in there. I mean... <laughs> Notre Dame, Alabama was bad enough in 2013. That was Notre Dame. Granted, that was the BCS era, but it's going to become the same situation where you put them in there and it's going to be a slaughter that no one wants to watch on that high of a level. And it's like you can expand the playoffs to maybe, let's say, 18. You double it. Then you have a lot of two-loss teams that are getting in there. And in college football, you have more two-loss teams than you do have one and zero, like no-loss teams. So I feel like it makes that argument harder. So the only way I can see it is you take a winner from every every uh, different conference. But in that case, then you're going to have more than likely like a one-loss uh, SEC team and one-loss um, Big Ten team that don't get in because they... They're, I mean, you'd have to fill them with three extra teams, yes. and that's when the conversation comes, how do we weigh them outside the Power Five? Because, yeah. you know, there's it, five slots. In my opinion, uh, playing for a team that was more... That was a G5, uh, playing against P5s, like, like you said, there's definitely a big, there's a big gap. And like I said tonight, there's a big gap in skill and size. Uh, I think when it gets to the playoffs... If you were to ask me, because I've always been a fan of expanding the damn college playoffs, I think it's reasonable. But the thing is, you know, it's, it's hard to have all those games with football because you're tired for the next week. You got a game plan. Yeah, and I mean, but if you were to ask me, I'd say cut down the season to ten games and make half of these bowl games championship. Uh, I'm not championship, part of the playoffs, because then you That's can kind of you can you can implement kind of a March Madness feel, put these really bad teams against these really good ones early on. You might have some upsets in football, especially during playoffs. So there's those games where you have those – and it's hard in college because there's different levels of skill. There's different levels of size. But then you, when you get down to the fourth quarter and you've kept in the game long enough, sometimes everything goes out the window and it's just about who's going to try harder. And so I guess you'd have a more interesting playoffs. you probably have a less uh, monopoly of the P5s kind of, you know. So what What if you did like a 16 team? That would be perfect. Because in, in that way, like the NFL, they, they have what? They're going to have 14 teams between 32 that actually mm-hmm. make the playoffs. In college football, there's, what, 58, 60-something? Like, oh, FBS? There's, like, no, like 300. No, like, power five. Oh, yeah, there's, like, 50, yes, yeah. yes, and then, so, like, you just look at that talent pool. I mean, you should explain the playoffs as it is. And if you do that, then you can normally have, like, one or two group of five teams, maybe three. Um, but then the rest of them, well, you have, like, two per conference that get in. And I think it could be interesting because if you do that and you take away the preseason games, preseason, but like the out of conference games that are just against nobody's like Alabama playing Troy or whatever, um, I think that's interesting because then you can schedule a 13 or 14 games in total. The hard part is is playoffs. Troy needs those games, right? Like they Troy, do. Troy, Troy needs all those games. Like, let, let's yeah. say like one per year, like like these. Like Alabama only plays Troy. That's once. fair. You'd have to do this whole intricate way, and I'm not trying to you know take mm-hmm. away from. Believe me, I would never argue against less college football, mm-hmm, yeah. right? I want more college football. I could Good have college football, too. Exactly. 
But there's so many layers to this that, like, it seems like such an easy thing, right? Like, cut down the games. But then you have programs that are so reliant on the money that they make. Yeah. And, like, sure, Troy beat LSU. But more important than that, Troy got paid, like, a million dollars, right? Yeah. And the way college athletics works, and I don't think a lot of people realize this, is because football is king, football pays for a lot of sports in yeah. colleges. Yep. What happens to Troy if they don't get as many of those opportunities to go make a million dollars? Do do they lose they go programs? Broke. They go like, broke. Recruiting goes down the hill. I don't know how you have to fix it, but I I don't think that you can not expand it at the same time. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? It's what, in a really bad gray area. What really sucks is this is the perfect year to expand it, but it's Absolutely. also the worst year to expand it because if you have more teams, it creates a more higher risk for COVID. So that's, that's really the tricky part mm-hmm. this year. But it would have been perfect to expand it this year. Now, here's a quick question for you, Brendan. Are you into betting? My, I, I, I dabble. You dabble? <laughs> it depends what we're talking about. <laughs> like football, college. Like football, yeah, I'll, college. Put a, I'll put a, yeah, yeah. So what's, the, I'm, what's the bet? What's I'm, the... I'm, I, I like the kind of friendly back table betting. That's what we kind of used to do. Hey, yeah, we got, yeah, yeah. We got 50 bucks on this game. Team X versus Team Y, whoever wins. No no spread, no nothing like that. But sitting at our table, we have an absolute dastardly degenerate yeah. when it comes to betting, right? And the man understands it week in and week out. And I ask you the question because every week we do a segment and it's Andrew's bets okay. coming into this week of college football. Jameson, are you big into the... I'm no, he, watch, he watches me go into full yes. degenerate mode, though. Okay, well then... By all means, Andrew, Ooh. I will let you take this week's bets. If you have any you would like to add in, by all means, because I am not to the degenerate level that I should be yet, but I will get there. Uh, right off the rip, Michigan, Michigan State over 53. Michigan hung 45 week one. Michigan State hung 27. Michigan offense looks good. Um, quarterback looks good. I think there's going to be a lot of points scored. Second of the week, Boston College plus 31 to cover against Clemson. They're 5-1 and one against the spread, including a cover against UNC. A lot of people don't realize that. Um, next, UNC minus seven versus Virginia. They're going to keep the train rolling. You might want to buy half a point of that to get to six and a half. But I like okay. that. And then lock, That's an interesting one. That's a good one. Lock of the week. Uh, again, the negative Texas thing. I'm taking Oklahoma State minus three and a half. They're, they're going to do it. That's my lock of the week. And then upset of the week. I'm not betting this. I'm not this crazy. But if you do want to throw some stupid money on the line, Arkansas plus 350 money line over A&M. Arkansas. Right I don't hate it. It feels like a little bit of a trip up game for AM. Look, and Odom is running a hot streak right now. Yeah. Arkansas's D. Look, they that is an interesting one. And then my last one, if you really want to see inside the brain of a degenerate, I brought up this point week one about how Harbaugh's really gone downhill since he started wearing khaki pants. Last week was the first week since the 49ers era he has not worn khaki pants. What happened? They won. <laughs> so if Saturday morning rolls around and I see this man not in khaki pants, hammer Michigan. Hammer, hammer Michigan. The khaki pants are the, the khaki, problem. Yes, they were the one million priest. percent the problem. The khaki priest. He grew ahead when he when the khaki oh. pants got popular. I like that. So just watch to see if Harbaugh's in khaki. If he's if he's <laughs> not in khaki pants, Michigan's winning the game. That's where I'm settling at with Michigan. What are y'all thinking with Texas Tech versus OU this week? Texas Tech OU, what's the spread? I'm bad at these things. That's for sure. What's the minus something? I don't, I don't even. I don't even. I don't think it's, it's pulled up. Pulled up. Exactly. Yeah, it's not pulled um, up. I mean, it might go to ESPN. Yeah, ESPN has them. Let's just see what they're doing. 
OU minus 14. Ooh. They're rolling, though. They're rolling. I don't love the spread on that. Maybe the OU money line, but it's probably like minus 450, 500. You're yeah. not getting a good return. Yeah. Uh, what's the over? I think you could bet Over 69. That. I'd maybe go under, which sounds crazy for the Big 12, but 69 is a lot of points. No, nah, actually, over probably hits. Over probably hits. I think you tech. could bet against that and win some money if you're tech. I'm I, I'm I think that there's a possibility. They they hit they cover that 14 spread. That I don't hate it. My only fear is, like I said earlier, with OU, they have nothing to lose anymore. Yeah. So it's almost a lot of weight lifted off Very their true. shoulders. So it's like this where this would usually be a trap game, it's not anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's a fair point. Now, closing thing for the podcast, we do this every week. We talk about what games are aside from being must bet to the degenerates and you certainly did bring a new level of degeneracy by watching what a man has on. It matters. <laughs> you can't tell me it doesn't so, matter. Now, every time you walk in here, I'm going to look down at my basketball shorts and be like, all right, I need to dress to impress. This is, I got a man taking stock over here. So, coming into next week, we got some big games, right? Where are y'all at with what are your games of the week coming into week nine of college football? I think you can't dispute Ohio State, Penn State. Sure. Um, you know, you have that's the best game of the week. Yes. And so, I don't know. That's the main one I'm really going to be looking forward to. Um, I think that maybe Kansas State, West Virginia could be interesting. I'm not big and big on Kansas State. I never really have been. Um, but, yeah, I think those are the main ones. Maybe Memphis, Cincinnati. We'll see. Memphis is probably, like, one of the, the better teams that they're, they have left to play this year. My two big ones are Georgia, Kentucky. Can Kentucky kind of get back to where they were at last year? They had a lot of momentum rolling into the season, and it kind of fell off. And the second one is Michigan, Michigan State, because I want to see Michigan continue that same dominance. Like if if they are back to the level we think they could be back at, this should be a complete blowout. It shouldn't be a problem at all for them. Yeah, and the line on that is intriguing as well. What like is you it? said, like it's the twenty-four and a half. Um, twenty-four and a half. Michigan fifty-two point zero. That's what I'm saying. They should I, I like easily that. dominate this game if they if they're at where they should. Be. Yeah, I like that. So I think we'll learn a lot. About I have them. to I have to favor the Big Twelve this week. Uh, I really do like both the matchups because I think they have a synonymous feel with Oklahoma at Tech and Texas Oklahoma State because uh, I feel like these are two ranked teams that we don't know if they're going to be able to hold on to that ranking, especially with Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma State's in a better position, but these are also two unranked teams who don't have a bad roster when it comes to competing in the Big 12. I don't think these teams would stand a chance with uh, anyone else from SEC, ACC, but I really have a feeling Texas and Texas Tech both are two high-scoring offenses who have had not the best luck that they wish they did. Um, and these are two in-conference uh, in, yeah, in games that uh, could really set their pace. I mean, if Texas beats Oklahoma State, they got a real chance of salvaging the season with some kind of uh, pride. Uh, Texas Tech, Oklahoma being uh, Oklahoma being kind of on the downfall right now. I really want to see if Texas Tech comes in and has another big scoring night like they usually do. So these are two games I'm real interested in. I'd have to favor Oklahoma State, but I'm also going to favor Texas Tech in the other matchup. Interesting. Yeah, I think those are both really intriguing. I think it's very hard to argue against the Ohio State-Penn State game. Yeah, 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 of course. Especially how Penn State should be playing yeah, pissed off. Of because Penn State has that same argument you've been giving credence to OU with, right? Is that they have nothing to lose. Yep. They they have to win this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This game right here completely forgives them in the eyes no, of absolutely. the committee. And it will simply be looked at as one of the greatest plays in the decade, mm-hmm. the Indiana touchdown. So that's, that's a hard one. I have one that I think people are going to sleep on, right? 
And maybe it's because I'm very intrigued by some certain matchups in here. Missouri, Florida, right? Okay. Florida didn't play last week. Yep. Coming off of a canceled game, which should have been LSU. And they're playing Missouri. Now, Missouri is two and two. They've dropped a game to Bama. They dropped another game. So, you know, I don't know how it's hard to tell with some SEC teams how good you truly are. I'll give an example. Last year, AM, they had four or five losses last year. Those four losses came to Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, LSU, all in the same year. You could have literally been the fifth best team in they the nation. All those teams. And we'd have never known yeah. because the committee had you at 20 in the nation or unranked, mm-hmm. right? But that's rough. Missouri's a little bit like that, man. They got a middle linebacker I really like, Nick Bolton. Really good. And it's an intriguing matchup because the matchup is Bolton versus Kyle Trask. And Kyle Pitts and Kyle Trask have a crazy yep. synonymous relationship. And Bolton will be looking to disrupt that. So that's probably my first one. I think that's a really interesting one. The other one that I think is kind of interesting, and I know that this is going to be a little weird, right? Um, I'm very interested in this Rutgers-Indiana game. You know, I looked at that, and I thought about it a little bit earlier, but I kind of shied away from it because it's Rutgers, but Shiano... Shiano is there, right? Shiano is there. They're looking good. They beat down Michigan State. That's Mm. Michigan State. Indiana coming off of that game. These are two programs flying high right now, Mm. and they're going to come crashing down next week. Which one of them comes to the realization first? I can't wait to see it. So I think that's where I stand with next weekend. What do y'all think? Anything else? Uh, I like the Florida game because both in the NFL and college, we've seen complete opposite sides of the spectrum of how a team comes back from a COVID break, mm-hmm. whether they're slow and they're rusty or they're great like the Titans because they've had two weeks to stare at the same team mm-hmm. and prepare for it. Yeah. So I don't know which Florida we're going to get, but I think that's really interesting for me to look at. Yeah. I like the Penn State game. I think it's going to be very, yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Very, too. Like yeah, I think so. And, you know, we've had... How long have we been? We've been going for almost two hours, so that kind of shows you about where we've been all over the place <laughs> with this one. So... Brendan, it was great having you on. Well, great. Um, Thank definitely. you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think we'll have to get you on. I mean, you're in Denton. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, yeah I, we'll I say out here, I would love to do it. We'll have to get you on on a more consistent basis. Y'all, for the first time, we got the three of us in here at the same time. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, so it's been a pleasure. This is episode three of College Football Unmasked. I'm Ty Hayes. Sitting beside me, we have... Jameson White. Andrew Martin. Brendan Weatherspoon. And it's been a real pleasure to be with y'all. We'll see you next week.